This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Welcome to the 57th episode of In Class with Dr. Greg Carlin. Let me just say good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone all over the globe, the largest Africana studies classroom in the world. And let me say good morning and afternoon to my brother. Good morning, Professor Hunter. Good morning, and I apologize. Today, the class is in class with Carr. Don't start till you get here. Oh, Lord, Lord. I I said we both can't be uh, last minute reading and then forget the time. Definitely. Like, like that. In the words of Michael Joseph Jackson, we must remember the time. Yes. <laughs> but that was wow. this one. This one was on this time. This this time I was I was caught up in class with a bunch of ancestors. But some of them coming in here today. So okay. Well, listen, they are always invited, and I'm grateful that they are uh, present. You know, we had a great conversation this week. We we're talking about the great Howard Thurman. Uh, and you know we're filling up spaces and narrative, and I just want to say thank you. This is the last day for the introductory offer, and this mm-hmm. was all about you know the the early adopters. You know y'all are the ones putting those first bricks down to this pyramid that we're building, and we're building it in real time, and we're yes. building it up transparently. Yes. And you know you said something really profound. It's like there's an intimacy with the bricks that are being laid. That's what you said to me on Wednesday. Absolutely. Oh, yesterday. Actually. We're building it together. And, and what you said that prompted me to think that was you gave the example of the great pyramids. And when we look at the ones that are on the Giza Plateau, the ones that are still trying to figure out how they built, one thing is for certain, they were built by hand. And I love the way that you characterized it. You know, each one of the stones, when you all go there and see those millions of stones laid out, then you realize that each one of those stones was hand cut, was hand hauled, was hand placed and replaced. And the reason it endures is because it was a collective activity. Um, philosophic, well, I don't say philosophic, in terms of ways of knowing, like again, we try to change those, those names so we're not so far away from us. There's a very basic principle involved. Forget the logistics of the of the, the seasons of the comedic calendar, the Egyptian calendar, the civic projects like pyramid building and that they did that kept people at work when they weren't farming. Just think about this basic pr- principle. You don't build something like that by constantly hitting someone with a lash. Principally, these were not built by enslaved people. I mean, the type of care and craftspersonship that went into those structures are the deliberate effort and great effort of people who are invested. So what, when when you said, you know, you start talking about a pyramid, I said, of course, what people are doing, what, what we're all doing with narrative, we are investing in something that is going to endure, not only endure beyond our lifetimes, it's going to, it's, it's already, I'm listening to, to you talk about it, uh, just in terms of the activity that's already taking place. People are finding each other. People are building. And these aren't imaginary pyramids. These aren't even literal pyramids. They are they are thinking and growing and joining pyramids. And we are, in fact, taking our narrative. So thank you. Listen, um, there's a, a uh, growing space, literal growing space, Black farmers, Black growers mm. found themselves, found each other in narrative. And so Uranus was like, have you seen, did you see this? And I went on, I was like, oh, okay, this is what I envision happening is people coming in and finding their way. And as a result, now he built something called Carver's Classroom, 
which is mm. a, a nod to George Washington Carver. And that space is up and ready. So if you are interested in, you know, building, growing, growing food, connecting with other people who are growing food and imagining what that looks like, because we have to control our food source. Uh, yes, now and other things have taught us anything. Yes, uh, we need to get back to the thing uh, that they brought us here to do, but yes. that we were uh, uniquely designed to do. And so yes. we can move away from yes. the thing that is in our DNA, which is to feed ourselves. Yes. Important yes. thing. So, uh, so I want to shout out all the folk that are in uh, what is now called Carver's Classroom and uh, mm. your your vision for that. Um, again, this is a collective. We're all bringing our bricks to this thing to build it. And uh, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Urias. We should probably footnote a minute about George Carver, not even a full minute. When this brother who uh, was brutalized as a child, when this brother who was enslaved very early on, when this brother eventually made his way out of that condition, got that early degree in chemistry out there at the University of Iowa when eventually when he finds his way to Tuskegee because Booker Washington, whatever his politics, he staffed the faculty of Tuskegee with black women and men who were some of the most uh, formally educated in the country. And when he brought Carver in as a scientist, Carver's science was at the top of Western science, but he was also deeply grounded in the spiritual grounding the ways of knowing of our people so when george carver said you know i would go out in the morning and the plants would tell me what they could do he was being very literal he lived in a small room on the campus of tuskegee a dormitory room they would bring him his breakfast his dinner and his supper you know that's what they call lunch at that time dinner that's that's supposed to be the biggest meal of the day and he would work in his laboratory and if you've ever been to tuskegee and see the carver laboratory which has been preserved you can really see the remarkable things he did. He said, I'm doing this with nature for our people. And so the only thing I'll say, this is just a tease. I mean, we have to do about a one on Carver. So to name that after George Carver, George Washington Carver, is a testament to the influence Carver had, even in places we don't necessarily know. There have been several good biographies on Carver, and one of them talks about his friendship with Henry Ford. Well, several of them do. Henry Ford, who is no friend, Oh, uh, you know, uh, you know, but Henry Ford understood value very well. And there is, you know, some of the scholars they debate about this. But one plausible theory of why Henry Ford named his manufacturing places plants. Think about it. What does the plant have to do with automobiles? Because mm-hmm. he understood in conversation with Carver, the function of nature as it relates to metals and to glasses, to rubber. I mean, and in fact, they say, well, this could have been a, a doff of the hat to his friend, George Carver, to wow. name those places plants. Think about it, next time you walk into an auto plant. <laughs> is that a plant? What is this guy doing a plant? We are everywhere. All right. Everywhere. We, also, we also engage you and I in a conversation about Lil Nas X and uh, the whole, mm. uh, you know, lap dance in hell with Satan. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you told me in your in your uh, class at Howard you had a discussion, and so I wanted to bring that to Saturday because I thought there was a nice entry point to get into a conversation about heaven and hell and uh, sin. Yes. Heaven, hell, sin. Well, should, should we before we get into that? Because I think uh, Gil Scott Heron's birthday was this week, and you've mentioned him and referenced him a lot during these uh, class sessions because he obviously is somebody that inspires you. Should we take a moment and just honor him, honor that ancestor? All of us, no question. In fact, uh, it's an interesting week. Uh, This would be in 1968, this would have been the Holy Week. Because as we know, Easter comes, um, Easter is the uh, Sunday following the first full moon 
that follows the equinox. That's why the date always changes. And so this Sunday, tomorrow, the 4th, will be quote unquote Easter Sunday. So we're sitting here on Saturday the 3rd of April this year, literally at the crossroad. So Lil Nas X is, I think it's appropriate for us to talk about. It. We're sitting at a crossroad between for those who have the, the, the Christian narrative as your kind of ordering way of knowing, then you know that this is the day that Jesus spends in the ground. It's the day after he has been narked out by the counterintelligence program in, uh, plant, Judas. Uh, it's the day after the bourgeois and his own group sold him out and the people clustered around in, in, the, in the mock trial the state gave him because they knew they were going to kill him all along. Uh, give him up in favor of Barabbas. I mean, this is the function of media. Once they get people's minds, and who would you rather me have? Barabbas, a robber, a murderer, or Jesus, the one you call Christ? And the Negroes scream, give us Barabbas. <laughs> Free him. But uh, he's been crucified. He's been given the death penalty. He gave, got there yesterday, and now he's in the ground. Now, tomorrow, of course, many of the sermons will be preached from distances. Will be, he is a riz, as they used to say in the South. Now, so that's that's one crossroads. We're at one crossroads. Another crossroads, of course. And, and we evoke the name of Gil Heron, Gil Scott Heron, the father of the Black Arrow out of England, mother, a trained a Western style singer who between Chicago, her mother in West Tennessee, who Gil stayed and was raised with, and then uh, eventually New York, coming back to New York. Gil Scott Heron is one of the most important jollies we have produced in this time away from the continent of Africa. And you know, we've talked about his book. Uh, well, the, yeah, his book, The Last Holiday, which uh, there it is over there. I won't even click. I've shown it before. Y'all go to narrative. You can get all the footnote information. Gil Scott Heron talks about that. And so his birthday was the first. And then the next day, of course, is Marvin Gaye. Which makes today the day his father took him out of here ostensibly over a, uh, a spiritual Difference of opinion, shall we say? David Ritz's book, Divided Soul, one of so many. I mean, his his sister has written a book. His brother's written Marvin Gaye, my brother. You know, Frankie Gaye. I mean, so there's a lot of conversation about it, and it's well documented. Um, he was a junior, of course, uh, a junior who suffered. Uh, you know, his birth name, his birth surname was Gay, G A Y, but who suffered uh, attacks around the fact that when you said G-A-Y, that evoked a certain type of intolerance around sexuality. He was teased as a child. They add the E. You understand? So, you know, but this, we're sitting right here at a moment when Marvin Gaye makes transition. And of course, around 10.30, just before 10.30 Eastern Standard Time on April the 3rd, 1968, Martin King's playing lands in memphis and in fact joseph rosenblum one of the latest and countless king writers scholars it's written a book called redemption martin Luther king's jr's last 31 hours and he traces that last day plus so we are roughly speaking about 30 hours from when martin king will uh less than 30 hours away from when martin king will be assassinated by somebody or somebody's 
Uh, of course, we know James Earl Ray was the one officially charged, but we also know from the King family, from the trial that was held down in Memphis, the, the Judge Joe Brown, who people know better as a, a media celebrity, presided over that trial that, uh, you know, you read Claude Pepper's work, you read even Dick Gregory, who did a book many, many, many years ago on the plot to kill Martin Luther King. There is absolutely no consensus among thinking people that James Earl Ray either acted or acted alone. But at any rate, doesn't matter. The bullet is the bullet. Shot through the neck, died there on the balcony. Um, so right now, where we're sitting right now, we are sitting in the last day that Martin King spends, last full day that he spends on the planet. And in the week that ensued after, to tie that back to Easter and continue forward, as we think about getting ready to introduce Bill Nas X into this universe we're creating for the time just today, Martin King, after he is killed 52 years ago, 53 years ago tomorrow, the week after that is the week we just came from in terms of marking Easter. Easter that year fell on the 14th. So what ensued in, in just about 200 cities, what ensued in over 100 with more than $100,000 worth of damage between sniping and setting stuff on fire was considered what some people call the Holy Week riots. We just came out of Holy Week, right? So you started with Palm Sunday when Jesus basically says, I'm coming to offer myself up, the trial and all that. All that in 1968 would have happened after Martin King was assassinated. In fact, uh, Good Friday. What does it mean to be good? We're going to remix all of this. Believe me, Neil Nas X is right here at the crossroads with us, as we'll see in a second. So what ends up happening, of course, is that black people get in the street. And in getting in the street, a message is sent. And in the wake of that message, you see King's lieutenants trying to imagine what this death means. Uh, none closer to him in the day-to-day -day work. In fact, and it's so funny, Professor Hunter, I was last night when I laid down, and I'm, it's funny how, you know how dreams are. If you don't get up and write them down, if you don't put them down in the middle of, you know, that's why Ellington, Duke Ellington said he would keep whose birthday is this month as well, as well as, uh, um, as well as uh, Ella Fitzgerald and so many others. Paul Robeson is the ninth. We may, maybe we'll do Robeson next week, but I don't know, Paul, because uh, we've done Essie, come to narrative. You can't get that over here. We did a whole thing on Essie. But at any rate, Robert, Ken uh, uh, Edward Kennedy Ellington from Washington, D.C., Duke Ellington used to say he kept, he kept paper and pencil by the bed. He'd wake up and he'd write this down because otherwise it's going to leave me. So, you know, way in the middle of the night, some, I now, I'm remembering it right now because I didn't, you know, at the moment now. It wasn't Ralph Abernathy the way that he appeared in physical life. This is his memoir. The walls came tumbling down. This is the one that caused all the controversy because everybody wants to be obsessed with what Dr. King was doing the day before he got assassinated. And you know, I mean, there, there are books about that. There's speculation about that. They make movies about it. And we know COINTELPRO was against him just like they were against Jesus. Uh, you know, there's even a sister who was in Kentucky State Legislature at Slate, Slate War. I have her book back in there. She's called I Shared the Dream. She talks about all those uh, kind of places beyond the gaze of the public where Abernathy and King and others would travel, drive down for vacation, do different things. And she says, yeah, I was there there week. I was there day before the brain. I mean, yeah. But so if you wanted all that, then there's this stuff you can document that on. But what Abernathy, who is there on that balcony 
on that balcony who's there in that upper uh, on, on the floor there with King and that concrete floor outside the room patting his cheek is Ralph is Ralph as King is, is fighting for his physical life and beginning the transition that will make him a powerful ancestor. You know, Ralph Abernathy writes, he says, as for me, I suffered more every day. The loss I had personally suffered and the terrible burden I had inherited because he's the second in command. It's not Jesse. It's not Andrew Young. You know, it's not, you know, it, it's Ralph. Ralph is the one that's been side by side, not only in all the photos we see, but in the vast majority of time we did not see. Abernathy says, at the same time, I was beginning to feel a certain enthusiasm for the project we were planning because King had already started. This is why he was back in Memphis. We're, gonna, we, we're part of this poor people's campaign. We're going to generate this. You hear Zeronia Clayton talking about we we threw a birthday party for him in part because he wouldn't slow down just that January before. You know, it's kind of a joke thing. It's also kind of lighten the mood while they're planning the poor people's campaign. Shout out to Reverend Dr. William Barber and Liz Steele Harris and all the folks engaged in the poor people's campaign. But, you know. So so there's this burden. That they're all sharing because King is saying now with a detour to Memphis that Andrew Young and Andrew Young writes about in his, his memoir, among other places. You know, we told him now, Dr. King, we ain't got time. He said, of course we have time. These brothers and sisters are out here. I am a man. You see them wearing them damn uh, 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 posters around their necks. They know they're men. But what they're saying to you is you ain't you going to stop not letting us unionize and put together. Shout out to all those in Bessemer, Alabama, who voted for the union. I know and we all know unions have terrible problems. But one thing Amazon hates is organized labor. And they hated it. If they were been to Amazon in 1968, they'd have hated it then. So at any rate, uh, King and them are working against, you know, and then finally say, you know what? We're going to Washington and we're going to stay in Washington. Yeah, the march on Washington was cool. It kind of pressed people a little bit. But then the response to the, one of the responses to the march on Washington is when they murdered those children in Birmingham that September. You know, not even a, not even two months after we were there, you know, not even a month, really a month, almost exactly to the day. Is it? So it's like, hmm. 1964, the argument is that it is the sacrifice because they came to the uh, to D.C., in that march for jobs and freedom in part to push legislation to lobby congress and push them and demonstrate a show of force that would push through became the civil rights act of 1964. and we know then that the voting rights of 1965 is covered in the blood of those martyrs which includes those who we stop and pause to remember like john lewis a new ancestor for those all the folks who were out there in selma before and after in fact there's a good book while which says that you know talks about how selma getting getting the vote didn't transform selma because that's only part that's only one tool in the toolbox but it is no doubt that what happened in 1965 early on bloody sunday and I, that that pushed to get through the voting rights act now, was there a filibuster in 1965 and 64? Yes. Was there a filibuster in 1957 when they passed the first Civil Rights Act, Federal Civil Rights Act, since Reconstruction under the Truman administration? Absolutely. Were they recalcitrant white nationalists? Then as now, shout out, Matt Getz, you won't be one of them long. But were there uh, recalcitrant white nationalists back in the 50s and 60s who said, we're going to filibuster this? Absolutely. Uh, where were they? They were primarily in the Democratic Party. Now, they've shifted to the Republican Party, their descendants. But uh so you ask the question, how did they break the filibuster? Well, the overreach was so powerful for people like Strom Thurmond in 1957 that some of those uh, people in the in the uh, uh, in the Democratic Party was like, I'm a racist, but damn, dude, we didn't already knock the teeth out the Civil Rights Act of 57. Now you're going to do a filibuster. You know what? I'm just going to go on and vote for it because we already gutted it. But with the blood of these martyrs in 63, 
64 Civil Rights Act, with the blood of the martyrs in 65 Voting Rights Act, and now Ralph Abernathy, the blood of Martin Luther King. Now it's an ancillary thing. People connect that to the Fair Housing Act of 1968. No doubt that had something to do with it. When you read uh, the Lyndon Johnson papers and you hear the transcripts of the conversations or you hear the literal translations Johnson is having, but the blood of Martin Luther King, Ralph Abernathy says, it occurred to me because they were coming back. No March on Washington in 63 style. We coming back to DC to stay until we get what we now we talking about economics now we talking about equity not equity in terms of oh, we got three more people on the corporate board we got five more shout out to all those 70 plus people of african descent who were in corporate america who now write a letter after the legislation passed talking about y'all need to get up off this voting rights stuff uh, with this suppression going on around the country in the wake of what happened in georgia and shout out to major league baseball rob manfred who uh made me send me back to harry henry aaron y'all took the all-star game out of uh Atlanta, but we also know why you took the all-star game out of Atlanta. Our friend Howard Bryant reports uh, today and late last night that he talked to some people in Major League Baseball and it was the corporations that pressed because the players didn't vote. So it's important to understand, you know, so now that y'all have moved the Atlanta Braves from Atlanta into Cobb County, you know, which your, where your fan base is, stick uh, stick that lukewarm statement you made yesterday, Braves, uh, right next to where y'all put the instructions for the tomahawk chop. We know who you mm -hmm. are. But corporate America leaned on Major League Baseball and Rod Manfred got to be a hero. And they say in part, oh, what would Henry Aaron think? Well, Henry Aaron would probably they say, well, I don't know what he would think. I think he would probably agree because he was a civil rights figure. He was a human rights figure. So I went back to what Aaron said when he was in Milwaukee. One of the reasons they moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta is because Atlanta, the Braves promised they wouldn't segregate the seats. You know, Milwaukee is up south. It's just like Chicago. A lot of Negroes from Mississippi up there at the time. But uh, it's interesting because Henry Aaron had just run Wookiee of the Year in Milwaukee when he went to the uh, to a banquet. And he said, I noticed that when owners, that word again, sign players, they when they sign them to big contracts, they then make an announcement and they talk about what a great player they are and how remarkable they are and what a good decision this was. So Aaron says he's there. Uh, he's just finished his rookie year. and He's rookie of the year in National League. He says, the guy got up, the owner, and started talking about he's the best all-around player. We're proud to have him in the Braves organization, blah, blah, blah. Here Aaron said it. He went on and on. I hadn't signed a contract for the next season yet. I had played the first season for $8,000. That was a lot of money to me. But listening to Mr. Uh, Perini, I began to think of bigger figures. Uh -huh. Charlie Graham was sitting next to me, and I turned to Charlie and said, does he mean all that? before I sign or after I sign? Okay. What would Henry Aaron think? Henry Aaron understood value, as did Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, who didn't poll the players, who didn't have a dark night of the soul and make a moral decision, but who took the calls of them corporations who now begin to understand that the worst thing could happen to capitalism in this country is when people start realizing, you know what, after money. I ain't messing around with none of y'all. Delta, Coca-Cola, Home Depot. Oh, I mean, get, get the all-star game out of here. Because guess what? In order for us to continue to pretend like we value these people, we at some point got to draw a line. So that having been said, what you see in uh, 
1968 is Ralph Abernathy and them is like, we, we're planning this, Martin King, Jesse Jackson, Zeronia Clayton, you name it, all the people around, we're planning this come to DC because it ain't just about, oh, little black girls and little black boys holding hands and you know, free at last. Yeah, y'all like that part, but what y'all don't like is, uh-uh, Dr. King said we got to redistribute the pain. If y'all ain't going to make this equitable, we're not going to have, and by the way, all the nuclear weapons, we got to do that out because a year ago today, he's in New York, his friend Vincent Harding, who's written about this, whether in his book, Martin Luther King, The Inconvenient Hero, or any of his other writings, you'll see, because Dr. King, with the help of Vincent Harding, doing helping him drafting, created something, he a speech he gave at Riverside Church called, Why Be Silent, Time to Break Silence, Why I Opposed the War in Vietnam. By the way, Riverside Church, that same Riverside Church, I sat with and was honored to sit with so many who sat at the memorial service for the great Gil Scott Heron. I haven't forgotten all this going to tie together. But in fact, that was my first time at Riverside Church. So I asked, listen, I need to go into big sanctuary. Well, I want to see where Dr. King, you know, why I opposed the war in Vietnam. So King is unpopular at this moment. You know, you look at the HBCO video documentary, King in the Wilderness, or read, read Rosenblum's book is good because he kind of it's, it's come so recently that he's got all that other stuff in it. You know, some books you read so you can don't have to read the other books first. Now, if you want to keep studying, fine. But Abernathy is understanding King is gone. And I'm sure he's saying to him, I'm sure he came to him in many dreams during that period and say, man, you know, I know y'all ain't gonna stop. You, you didn't stop when we was on our knees down there in the South and you was praying and you said, Lord, some of the murderers who may be uh, in this circle right now. And that white boy over our shoulder said, one of them was right behind you. You didn't open your eyes then. So let's <laughs> let's keep going. So Abernathy says American society would indeed be. I'm sorry. It occurred to me. That if we could achieve the goals we set out to achieve, American society would indeed be miraculously transformed by Martin's death into the good and just society it would have been from the beginning. And I found this an exciting prospect. That's what led to what became Resurrection City. And you should read about Resurrection City. We talked about it a little this summer, but we will revisit it again at some point. So this week that we're in right now, that we're beginning tomorrow by the calendar, it's the Holy Week. This is when Negroes is tearing stuff up. This is where Nina Simone, in the middle of a live concert, thank God they recorded it records what is known as the Martin Luther King Suite. She has a song, Sundays in Savannah, about black folk in church. And she changes the lyrics. A little. She said, you know, I'm going down for the funeral in a few days. And she says, everyone knows everything now. Everything has been revealed. You know, Simone wasn't one to mix her words. And you, you hear her live as she's comping on the piano and you hear the note she's hitting. Doom, 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 doom. She's about to go into her song. One more Sunday in Savannah. You know, but she's going to change. The list. I'm going to change them a little bit. He wouldn't mind. And then near the end, she says, you know, as she's talking about this sister praising the Lord and she's singing the song, she says, one more Sunday in Atlanta. It's the same place, the same spirit. And then she goes into Mississippi. God damn. Woo! Alabama's got me so upset. Memphis has made me lose my rest. 
but everybody knows about Mississippi. God damn. And then as she's calm, boom, doom, 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 before she goes into the next lyrics, right? Hound dogs on my trail, little school children sitting in jail. Before she gets there, though, she says, uh, ah, you killed him. He was one of you. He believed it. I loved him because he believed it. And then she says, but I ain't about to be nigh violent, honey. No. <laughs> Hound dogs on my trail. She's scaring the shit. <laughs> no, in other words, yeah, he was one of you. In other words, he was human and I loved him because he believed it. Notice she didn't say she believed it. And then just in case you didn't, you missed it. She said, yeah, because I ain't about to be nonviolent, honey. And then Simone goes to the funeral. But that week, that holy week, 1968, Negroes is like, he believed it. But I ain't about to be nonviolent, honey. Kwame Ture stole the Carmichael here in D.C. with the pistol in his hand. You know, there's a book that just came out uh, a couple years ago called Most of 14th Street is Gone. They down there trying to say the black businesses, the two that stayed open are still open today. Lee's Flower Shop owned by the Lee family on U Street and the great Ben's Chili Bowl. Miss Virginia Ali, Ben and Virginia Ali. Miss Virginia Ali is still alive, still go to work. This crack, when this plague is up, she's been feeding people during COVID. You go down here to D.C., Ben's Chili Bowl, you liable to see Miss Ali. She's down there all the time. My, my goodness, this is the power of black women. She's Virginia Ali. But at any rate, this whole moment we're sitting in in 2001, this weekend, the 3rd of April, we are at that crossroads. And so... When we think about Little Nas X, it reminds me of several things. Number one, Little Nas X is a performer. Nina Simone was a performer. Little Nas X is black. Nina Simone is black. Do they share anything else in common? Well, we're going to find out in just a couple of seconds. We're just going to think about that. Does he share anything in common with Marvin Gaye? Does he share anything in common with Gil Scott Heron? When Gil Scott Heron talks about the class divides in our community, you hear him in, in a song like Peace, uh, Go With You, Brother, at the beginning. I think that maybe with uh, Brian Jackson and the uh, Midnight Band. It was from the It's Your World album. Y'all had to look it up for me but because uh, I'm going off memory. But uh, at the beginning of that song, it's like, you know, now is the time for all the family to come together. Common blood flows through common veins. And so you start and then you hear him, Peace, Go With You, Brother. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to people who never really look back and, and come back for the rest of us. You're my doctor, you're my lawyer now, but somehow you forgot about me. And so all I can say is peace. And they come in. Peace go with you, brother. Assalamu alaikum. Peace go with you, brother. Peace go with you, brother. Assalamu alaikum. Peace go with you. But that's that's the title of the song. You see Assalamu alaikum in there. I want you to think about that right now as the hillbilly horde and all the white nationalists in and outside of Congress who they who suborned them, who worked with them, who coordinated with them, still ain't been uh put up for what they did in January. But one dude who you can nominally tie to the nation of Islam, and now you're gonna walk across that bridge and make the nation of Islam. The book, yeah, no, the white nationalists are the reason there is a, a nation of Islam. Go back and look at the hate the hate produced. Mike Wallace, but Lewis Lomax really is a new biography on Lewis Lomax that actually came out. But the point is that Gil Scott Heron, Lil Nas X, uh, Nina Simone, they all inform a form of uh, um, cultural meaning maker, Marvin Gaye. And so here we are in April. 
at this crossroad. Christ is in the ground. We're right between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Now, that date changes because it ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. We know <laughs> that Easter is linked to the equinox. And the reason it's linked to the equinox in the Christian tradition is because all the Europeans that Rome went out and colonized their minds and turned them into Christians, they realized they had to leave them something of what they were doing before they come spreading the good word. And the good word they spread is basically so they can keep the place organized around the Roman Empire. That's the political reason for Roman Catholicism. Uh, which was, of course, the faith tradition uh, that Billie Holiday was raised in, whose birthday is uh, coming up this week. But at any rate, <laughs> Billie Holiday, another truth teller, another person, along with Gil and, and, and Nina. And, Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou's birthday. Absolutely. What is the fourth? Is it tomorrow? Yep. You have to look at you're right. Oh, these, these, and this is the whole point: cultural meaning making. That's why we created that category in the African studies framework. We ask ourselves, who are those who are making the songs, making the poetry, making the dance, making the visual art, and what are they saying? And how is it linked to that governance category? How we look at each other. So you know, Lil Nas X is absolutely sitting deep in that uh, in that tradition. I was watching the interview you had the other day about Lil Nas X and queerness. We're gonna talk about that too. So in the context then of uh, us sitting here in this period. Okay, yeah, thank you. It's uh, yeah, the fourth. Okay, so that's tomorrow. We're sitting right there. We come, we come over to uh, to the great Marguerite Johnson. If you don't read anything else, if you I know you read her poetry, we see her her play her, her her script writing, screenwriting abilities. We see all that. We know she started off as a dancer and as a singer. Her albums are still out there. They've been digitized and converted. But you know, read her read her first uh, volume of memoir. I know why the Kate Bird sings the power of a black institutional space. Yes, there was segregation, but we sang lift every voice and sing. And it's very important to understand through all those things, all those layers of being. So yes, all of these cultural meaning makings, makers. So Christ is in the ground and it's celebrated on Easter because they said, okay, y'all got these festivals of springtime, y'all kill rabbits, uh, you know, and so even back in the day, hell, we had a Lupercal feast where we would actually, uh, Romans that is, and we would paint our, we would paint women who were virgins and turn them loose in the woods. And if you caught one, you know, you could do what you wanted to. Shout out Matt Getz. Uh, this isn't then. I don't know. Maybe you got the time. Uh, maybe you got a time machine. You and your friends can go back there for your for your for your fellow centric, misogynistic, white male nationalism. You know, go ahead. But that ain't then. But back then. Yeah. So if you want to think through. Uh, we won't talk about it much today because this is ancillary. But if you want to think through why you have Easter egg rolls and you color your eggs and you hide them and then you discover them yeah all that <laughs> yeah that's you know there's places to study for it and i gave you just enough to go back and go and find out and then of course you'll be shocked and maybe you won't do it anymore but i suspect you will because contradictions have never stopped culture from bleeding that haven't been said so we're in this moment crisis in the ground now what has christ done since he's been here oh man he didn't heal the sick he done made the lame walk. Shit, he went in there and made Lazarus walk up, as Aretha Franklin said, like a natural man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Get the long version when she's with James Cleveland. 
And she's talking about that. He called Lazarus out like a natural, came walking out like a natural man. She sound like her daddy, uh, C.L. Franklin. And some of y'all messed around and watched the damn docu-series and think you know something <laughs> about C.L. Franklin. Anyway, at least get Nick Salvatore's book, C.L. Franklin, The Black Church and the Transformation of America, Singing in a Strange Land. Y'all don't know a damn thing. In fact, you've been, to borrow a phrase from the Nation of Islam and uh, Malcolm X, run amok, led astray, hoodwinked, bamboozled. Don't trust, you know. Rita Franklin put a whole set of her father's sermons in Barack Obama's hand the day he was sworn in as president, and she sang from the Capitol steps. So don't, 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 don't do that, or do it, and just know you're doing it because you're making a deliberate choice not to know. But at any rate, so yeah, go and get Rita Franklin talking about hey, Jesus while he was on. He made now. Oh man, it's a beautiful thing. Oh Mary, don't you weep? Tell Martha, not the moment. So that having been said. But he's been killed now. And so he's in the ground, in the tomb, a borrowed tomb. And I'm sitting here thinking about this, Professor Hunter. And I'm thinking, how does this, how can this all this be used in terms of a lesson? And something, what can we learn from this? So I thought about Marvin Gaye. 1971. Marvin Gaye released his concept album that displaced the whole notion of the war. What's going on? And it signaled his opening as a jolly, as a truth teller. And when he's on that album, he is literally speaking as a representation of what's going on in the streets, our people. Marvin Gaye, when he comes on that album and what's happening, brother, and he says, Hey, baby, what you know good? I'm just getting back, but you knew I would. War is hell. When will it end? When will people start getting together again? Are things really getting better like the newspaper said? Shout out to that jobs report yesterday, Joe Biden. Mm -mm. My man said, I read the newspaper, but uh, I'm asking you, my friend. Ain't got no work, ain't got no job, my friend. Money is tighter than it's ever been. Hey, man, I just don't understand what's going on across this land. What's happening, brother? Mm-hmm. What's happening, brother? So he's like, man, I just got back from the war. That's why Spike put all that music into Five Bloods. That's why y'all love that movie so much. Yeah, Chad Bozeman gave a hell of a job. Del Rolando, always a beast. That ensemble, Clark Peters, all them cats. But it was that Marvin Gaye, what's going on music underneath. This is 1971. He says, you know, uh, are they still getting down where we used to go and dance? Is the world the same from when I came out that jungle? Will our ball club win the pennant? We used to watch baseball. Do you think they have a chance? Then he delivers the money line. And tell me, friend, how in the world have you been? Tell me what's out. I want to know what's in. That's the governance structure. I understand newspapers. I understand it. But tell me, man, how have you been? Because I need somebody to ask about how I've been. You understand? Because this thing is killed. 1971, he releases that. Shoots to the top. Gray has been a realist reestablished. 1973, 
I've been really trying, baby. Oh, let's get it on. This is 1973. And in between, Marvin Gaye is offered the opportunity to do something he had never done before. Because now they're trying to make all these Negro movies. In fact, there's so many good books. Y'all heard Tom Coon, Mulattoes, Mammies and Bucks. I encourage you if you can find this book. Now, now, mind you, I show you all these books. Now, I see everybody go out, run and get the books because understand that unless that's what you want to do. But there's a real, you know, I show you the books because I got the books around here because that's what I do. And, and, and I'm saying that's what I do, not as a brag or a boast at all, but as a, a reminder that when you're in a craft, you're supposed to pursue that craft. And in many ways, like Howard Thurman would say, I'm really not a writer. I'm not. the. I am a minister. I'm a preacher. And the sermon is the piece. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a sermon. These are sermons. I am a reader and I am a student. And I, in the craft that has been deputized and called as teacher, am a teacher. So when I show you all these things, it's, to, it's just to remind you that there is a momentum of memory, that we're not making things from now, that many people have thought about this and thought about it enough to reduce it to print, to put it on tape, to put it somewhere for us to not have to keep doing the same work over and over again. So this is a brother named Lindsey Patterson, who edited a book called Black Films and Filmmakers. And he talks about how in 1972, between, uh, uh, between uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, and 1971 and 1973's uh, uh, Let's Get It On. I'm sorry, be between what's going on and Let's Get It On, he's asked to score this. King has not been gone in 1971, three years. So this, the spirit, and again, the Vietnam that he has made this whole concept album around is the one King was trying to say, this is what's going to happen. If this thing called the United States disappears, and I'm saying it could disappear because God will rise up and bring something to break the backbone of your power, America. That's why he's unpopular. He's, like, oh, oh, oh. he's saying, if it dies, part of the autopsy will read Vietnam. So, you know, truth tellers, art, artists are doing this, right? And so gay is in that position. And now they've realized these people in the market, we can make money off these Negroes. Sweetback, I think 71, you know, oh man, we can make, he raised that money himself. He keeps selling out this damn theater he's showing it in and they keep showing another theater. And let's jump in this. So they going to make these quote unquote black exploitation movies. Okay. They start making these black, and they meaning studios. And eventually some of them become the ones y'all love more than anything. Car Wash, Cornbread, Earl and Me, Audience Sounder, 1972, the great Cicely Tyson, as we talked about, you know, but see, just like black studies in the white Academy and other things, you want to make, well, Black Studies was a concession. In the case of the market, though, it's happened so fast, like Black Studies, it happened so quickly that you don't have time to cultivate uh, a group of robots to make it in a way that ain't going to mess you up. So you got to go and get these Black people who have been doing work in cultural meaning making to come do it. Isaac Hayes scores Shab, the great Curtis Mayfield. Oh my God, perhaps the greatest of the examples for Superfly, where Mayfield writes a soundtrack that almost engages in a criticism of every scene in the movie. <laughs> my God. Oh, listen to the long form of Freddie's Dead. Why can't we brothers protect one another? No one's serious, and it makes me furious. Man, Freddie's dead. You could say, I'll push, you could put push him in. You could take all them out. Just that opening, Freddie's dead. Mm -mm -mm -mm. My God. Huh. He said, man, Curtis Mayfield 
is looking at this man, this junkie. We can deal with rockets and dreams, but reality, what does it mean? Don't be misled, because Freddie's dead. <laughs> In other words, this junkie stuff is going to take us all out. Oh, my God. So at any rate, this would be such a beautiful world with a wonderful girl. Just, Ooh, and just, just pause there for a second. Yes, please. I just want to take a moment uh, to just honor DMX, who is hanging on to life right now from an overdose since you just brought that up. Yeah, I just, I know, and you teach a hip hop class, so I know, I just, since you brought it up, it just, I don't know, felt appropriate to let you know that. Thank you. I did not know that. Yeah. Our brother wrote with a collaborator, and you probably know the name, Karen, I don't recall. Uh, I'm probably in storage, actually. His memoir is Dark and Hell is Hot. Mm. It was not only appropriate, that's why Curryfield came in here today. Mm. Don't be misled. Just think of Fred. You can't get there in a bottle. You can't get there in a pill. And these people, they talking about rockets and dreams. But reality, what does it mean? So all who've enjoyed his music, all who know that journey with the Rough Riders, you know, I lived in Philly all those years. Eve was a part of that crew out of Martin Luther King High School. You think about that notion? Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, we pray for our brother. We send forth the spirit. We all got to go that way, but you ain't got to go that way, brother. Yeah. And in fact, let's let let let's evoke his spirit, and as we do, bring Marvin more right directly into this. Because in this moment of writing soundtracks, what you see is uh, Marvin Gaye is offered the opportunity to uh, to write the soundtrack for a movie that is going to be directed by a black man, that is going to be uh, star all black uh, black cast, almost all black cast. The black man who directs it is Ivan Dixon. Some people know him in the social structure from Hogan's Heroes, but you should know him from his career as a stage actor, a film uh, a director, producer, a film actor. In fact, uh, if you go back and get a little movie called Nothing But a Man with the great Abby Lincoln, Aminata Mosica, you see him in, in, in this. And, and Ivan Dixon is going to direct Trouble Man, Robert Hooks, the great uh, actor, director, institution builder coming out of the Negro Ensemble Theater is going to play the main character, T, T for Trouble. Uh, yeah, I know the plot of Trouble, man. I won't get into it. But as they're reading the script, Hooks and Dixon and them is like, oh, and by the way, you know, Robert Hooks then comes out of D.C. He sets up D.C. rep. These are theater cats who are then pulled in because they ain't got time to make up some or to go get celebrities and make them actors. No, damn, we got to make this money. OK, well, just let them theater Negroes in. That's why, you know, a Cicely Tyson out of the theater, a James Earl Jones out of the theater. That's why, you know, a William Marshall as Blackula. I mean, who's been in it for years. I mean, they pulling these people in. Right. And so. They read the script and it's like, hold on, y'all got this black woman, Paula Kelly, going to play this role. She jumping in and out of the bed like a like a cat in heat. That's what uh, the cat who writes the chapter in here talks about trouble, man. He said, nah. So what? Does Dixon do? Dixon goes to the NAACP and says, look, lean on these people. We ain't gonna, I ain't shooting no shit like that. Yeah, I know it's black as boy tasty, but we gonna have some images that are gonna at least try to help black people, inspire black people. So what does Marvin Gaye do? When you look at the beginning of Trouble Man, y'all hear them drums? 
There are several versions on the Trouble Man album of 1972. All right, let's just pause there for 30 seconds. What's going on? 1971. Trouble Man, 1972. Let's get it on, 1973. Forget everything that happened before and everything that happened since. Sit in that for a minute. Marvin Gaye, man. So you hear, the, you hear the drums, but the best version is the album version. You see the brother T coming down the steps, gets in his car, drives off. He can really go handle some business. And then you hear Marvin an octave lower because, you know, Marvin Gaye going to sing all the parts on his album. <laughs> he got this track machine. He go, so you hear him, you know, I come up hard, but now I'm cool. But on the album, Come up hard, come up hard, but now I'm cool. I didn't make it, sugar, playing by the rules. I come up hard, but now I'm fine. Checking trouble, baby, moving down the line. I come up hard, but that's okay, because trouble, man, don't get in my way. Mm -hmm. Y'all know Rebel Man. I played that song every morning on the train before my eight o'clock class at Temple when I was teaching there, finishing my dissertation. Trouble Man. Why? Because it wasn't even that. The idea is, and here's where we're going to get a little Jesus in. Now we come a little Nas X at this crossroad, right? Because in my mind, imagine a film about Jesus that opens with Trouble Man playing. Now, it may seem a little hard to imagine, but uh, here's a book you probably won't be able to find, but I'm going to show it to y'all because he talks about Lester Kayser and uh, Andre Ruzanowski wrote a book years ago called The Cinema of Sidney Poitier. Oh, there goes Sidney. Look at Sidney. Hale and Hardy still around. And it talks about the fact that, did y'all know that Sidney Poitier made a movie about Jesus Christ? Except he didn't set it in Bethlehem. He said it in the American South in the 1960s. Did you know that he made a movie about, in fact, let me just show you a table of contents so I can stand, y'all can understand where we're going. So you get him first as the good Negro type introduction, the road to stardom from 1950. Now he's a stage actor too, but you see, y'all remember No Way Out, Blackboard Jungle, then Recognition and Success. Now you remember the Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis and you got, you know, all the movies that are going to put him as a movie star and then he gets bankable the top three vehicles to serve with love in the heat of the night. Guess who's coming to dinner? But but he but what they argue is that I'm sorry. Then he then he makes some of these uh some of these movies are kind of uneven, right? The next chapter, response to public challenge for the love of Ivy. If you've seen that, you should see that. It's a black love story. The Lost Man. Hey, that's the joint set in Philly where he starts with the nursery rhymes from the kid. Quincy Jones did the score. It's so haunting. You hear but it's a gangster movie like whoa what are these Negroes doing they're playing with Hollywood money to explore the form and cultural meaning making and they're negotiating with a market who just wants the money but this is the small cracker window they have to make something creative uh, this is when he made the he can they continue because now you got franchise Hollywood wants to franchise stuff so in the heat of the night end it there where you going Rod Steiger asks Sidney Poitier down from the north to solve this crime. Sidney Poitier looks at him just before he goes to see Bea Richards, the great Bea Richards, who runs the place that did the abortion right for the white girl to cover the crime. He looks at him and says, where whitey ain't allowed. Oh, 
<laughs> oh, but hey, Hollywood said we can keep making so they make they call me tears. Y'all remember that, right? The organization. But then now he's got the box office. He's got the ability to make some movies. He's putting money away. Director and producer Portier. What's the first movie he makes that he can get the muscle to make? And this is the old book. You see 1972 Dash? The first one is called Brother John. <laughs> Did y'all know that Sidney Portier made a Jesus Christ movie here on Easter weekend? ENR Productions, that's for his independent production group, Portier told the press would, quote, make films that show a truer picture of American Negroes to movie audiences, end quote. Portier's first project for ENR Productions was filmed under the working title Kane. Sound familiar? Yes, it's true. Go on. No doubt an allusion to Orson Welles' classic film and released under the title Brother John. Brother John was based on an original idea by Portier and Ernest Canoy about a man who might be bringing a last message to society, a man who represents different things to different people, a man who had been almost everywhere and done almost everything. The allegory is the Christ allegory. Y'all go look up Ernest Canoy, Ernest K-I-N-O-Y. That was 1972, same year as Trouble Man. And in fact, if y'all give me three seconds, I'm going to show you something. You might be able to scrounge around and find one of these. They actually published wow. Brother John as a little signet paperback. You made me watch that this weekend. I watched oh, it. Let me, let me pause here. Let me just pause here and ask you if you don't mind. You ain't got to go through the narrative. What you think? Uh, so, first of all, I didn't know Mother Jefferson was in there. How about that? She was old then. I was like, it can't be Mother Jefferson because she old in this movie. Old in this movie. <laughs> no, I mean, I thought it was, it was, first of all, infuriating. It was simplistic. And, you know, understanding, because we had a discussion about it, I was like, Sidney Poitier, a lot of people paint him as kind of like, you know, the uh, safe Negro. Yes. But he was actually the Negro poking white people in the eye a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he was a lot, and we need we need to give him more of his flowers. We need to we need to stop these very uh, cartoonish ways in which we categorize black people. Whether we're talking about Step and Fetch it, whether we're talking about uh, you know Hattie McDaniel, That's you know right. people come up in a time when they come up and they they resist in a way that they resist, and you don't know all of the story, no the backstory of how because he married to a white woman. So we we do a lot of damaging things you know yes. even in, in this discussion we're going to have a little Nas X we we have these ways in which we discard people yes because of our own uh self-hatred and indoctrination yes so I'll just I'll say that and pop that no out. no that and that's thank you because see and, and y'all go and, and by the way did you have to go looking hard to find it no no well it was on stars so I you know unfortunately okay, cool. every cool. single cable streaming platform <laughs> invented to man thanks to all of the stuff that's out there so i just yes uh, spoken to my remote brother yes. john and it came up on stars for free so my i got to pay for it so cool. i was like thank you all right thank cool. you stars yes because i had that because of power all right anyway sure no 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 no. but that's not any way at all in fact uh in fact uh in fact Let's bring our bro our brother Curtis Jackson in. We'll bring him in in a minute because he and Lil Nas X, in my mind, have something very much in common. Ooh, yes so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pause right there. And I think you know where I'm going with that. But uh, they, they stand at the crossroads. For those of you who also know where I'm going with that. So uh, Christ was standing at the crossroads. In fact, they put him on the cross. In fact, the cross 
One of the reasons why it catches on so quickly in parts of Africa where the missionaries go, like Congo, for example, look at the Congo crosses, K-O-N-G-O, original kingdom of Congo, which is now parts of Central, Central and West Central Africa, Angola, uh, Congo, Brazzaville, Congo, uh, Kinshasa, primarily the belly of Africa, then even going east. But those Congo crosses, you see the Africans create these crucifixes with Africans in the middle, and they say, that's Jesus. They understand because the, cosmo, the cosmogram uh, symbol throughout the world, and certainly Africa is no different, in fact, are pioneers in this. That cross symbol means that if you're at the center of that, you are literally at the center of all the forces in reality. Birth, strength, death, ancestry. The creation of the universe, the cycles of the universe. If you can, if you can stand, you don't need no damn infinity stone. If you are at the center of that, that means you see it all and you can stand being at the center of that. By the time we get to Yoruba, Eshu, for example, is at the crossroads. He sees it all. So Eshu is like, you can't stay here with me. You got to make a choice because this thing is keep going. Now, for them, they said, well, Christ, what was Christ? Well, Christ died and came back. Okay, that's no big deal. We do that. Okay, Christ, Christ. they put Christ on the cross. A cross? Oh, so he's at the center of power. Yeah, well, okay. So the whole idea of being at the crossroads, being on the cross, even in the Christian uh, iconography is important. So this Jesus figure then is a figure of immense power, one who sees past, present, and future, but one, as Howard Thurman might say, in his very important book of the 20-some books that he uh, wrote, and you had to come over the narrative, y'all, for a long discussion of, of, uh, of, of those books, and, and Howard Thurman, a very important figure, in fact, one of the most important figures. I won't say much more about him other than to say in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, which really begins in some ways as a sermon he gives at Boston University in 1935 entitled Good News for the Underprivileged, Thurman is basically carrying a thesis that when you see Jesus Christ, you know, he says Jesus is a technique of survival for a disinterested, I'm sorry, for a disinherited minority. Jesus is a, a technique. Jesus is a technique of survival for a disinherited minority. In other words, Jesus here, he's not with the government. There's a reason why you have to name a film that you're going to talk about a Judas and the Black Panther Party, Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> why do you, well, why do you name, nobody has to explain why, because you go back to the original story of COINTELPRO, it's called the Romans. How much, baby? Here's your 30 pieces. Then the boy kills itself. So of course, Judas, yeah, because you're a narc. Shout out to all the narcs watching this now. No problem. You can't stop us just like Jesus couldn't be stopped. Why? Because to go back to trouble, man. Which is why I say, Brother John, I love it. I'm saying, but if you took a Jesus biopic and had trouble, man, I come up hard, baby. But now I'm cool. I didn't make it sugar playing by the rules. I come up hard, but that's okay. Now, I'm going to detour, not even detour for a minute, back to the Haitian Revolution period. And in 1789, Benjamin Franklin, you know your friend Ben Franklin, who loved you so much, the Quaker, uh, he writes a letter to his friend Jean-Baptiste Leroy in France because he ain't heard from him in a minute. Well, they got a whole ass revolution going on. So that's probably why you hear from him. And he writes him a letter to see if he's okay. And while he's writing him the letter, he says, uh, you know, by the way, there's been a development here in the United States. We are close to ratifying the U.S. Constitution. And I'm very happy. Now, Franklin will be dead within the next six months. He dies uh, the year after and not even makes it through 1790. In fact, he passes in April 1790. 
but he's known for these sayings. All these sayings got poor Richard's almanac. So he's writing his friend to check on him because the Haitian Revolution is not he, Haitian Revolution going down too. In fact, I was just well anyway, not even that. But he's writing his friend to check on him because the French Revolution is going down. He worried about him, right? In fact, the Haitian Revolution is getting ready to go down. But he's writing him, "You okay, man? I ain't heard from you." But we passed this constitution. I don't know what the future will hold though. Whether it'll keep together because the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. So that saying attributed to Benjamin Franklin is absolutely true. Franklin says nothing certain in life but death and taxes. <laughs> Till Marvin Gaye comes along in 1972. There's only three things for sure. Taxes, death, and trouble. This I know, sugar. Because <laughs> see, Marvin Gaye is black in America, baby. Now, Ben, I know death and taxes, and you're going to see death in a minute. Taxes, you got to have tax revenue, no question. Uh, shout out all you corporations who uh, certainly don't want to, you know, Major League Baseball to suborn something's going to cost you some money. You're the same ones who reading the front page of today's Financial Times is giving hell to Joe Biden because you don't want your taxes raised uh, again, even though they still wouldn't be raised to the point that they were even under Obama, 35%. Biden's saying maybe 28% because y'all got that $2 trillion giveaway. Shout out to all the white nationalists now defending Matt gets with their silence and who defended the hillbilly horde, even though y'all trying to make one man representative of the nation of Islam and all black America who gave that two trillion dollars to them. Uh, shout out to Jeff Bezos, who made 73 billion dollars over the last 10 months and who has got his jack booty thugs down there in Alabama trying to stop the organized labor. Yeah, these corporations are sitting there and they understand this is going to be a problem for us. So when you talk about taxes, they're not paying taxes. Shout out to Zoom, who hasn't paid any taxes, even though y'all thing went through the roof. So when Benjamin Franklin says there's only two things for certain, taxes and death, death and taxes. People like that. They've made movies, death and taxes. Marvin Gaye is like, oh, excuse me. I'm black. I'm part. I'm with the disinherited like Jesus. Yeah, there's only three things for sure. Taxes, death and trouble. Now, you could say, and Howard Thurman, I'm sure, would preach this. There's an existential element of that. Trouble visits all humanity. So between life and death, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be crossroads. We're gonna, now we're getting a little Nas X in this. How do you respond to the crossroads has a lot to do with who you've been surrounded by, who you've surrounded yourself by, your own journey up to date, and how we then, in terms of what in that category we call in the African States framework, movement and memory, how we remember those moments of cultural meaning makers who make something cultural meaning making means you made it in the moment that you were existing movement and memory means as we go through time and space which of those moments that people made in the moment they were existing do we remember as marking our journey there's a reason why if i put on i've been really trying baby trying to hold back this feeling so long and if you feel like i feel baby Come on, 1973. It's the reason why I put that on. If I put that on in a high school classroom, they all start singing. What? None of you Negroes here in 1973. <laughs> you know what I mean? In fact, some of y'all parents wasn't here in 1970. And yet, after he finishes that and he gets to the line, it's like a sing-along. Let's get it on. How are they? Now, that doesn't mean 
that subsequent generations didn't create anything because I could do the same thing. I can love you better than she can. Oh, yeah. You put that on. They start singing again. Y'all wasn't even around when Mary J. Blige recorded that. And then they all know the lyrics to, if I told you once, I told you twice. Come on. <laughs> how, do y'all, how do y'all know this? You, you, you 13 years old. Now, this ain't the little Kim of today who has continued experimenting in form. This is little Kim when she said, Mary Blige is my witness. In other words, I understand, like Eve with the Rough, rough Riders with DMX in them, when she's on the track, what y'all want? Is right here with me. There are underlying ways of knowing that help us understand we only gonna do this together. So Marvin Gaye, who is violating the rules of sexuality in 1973, coming forward to Lil Nas X in a minute, is still playing one of the reasons he got shot today by his daddy, not a defense at all, but understanding in these closeted ways of knowing and these jacketed, straight jacketed ways of knowing, secular and sacred, it's hard to blend. That's why David Ritz calls it divided soul. But you see, that what is the constant in there? There are several constants. That blue note, Mary J. Blige, you, you're trying to score I Can Love You Better? It's going to drive you crazy. Why? Because it's beginning on a blue note. <laughs> boom, doom, boom, doom. And then she rides the note between, mm, mm, between that octave. Mm, I can love you better than she sitting here. Mm, wondering why you don't love me the way that i love you and baby she's riding that note in between that octave meaning what that's that blue note y'all brought that here on the boat but the delivery system isn't enough for it to be enter movement and memory something about that has to resonate even with children who know don't they don't know nothing about it just like they say about michael jackson you had no business <laughs> in single digits, getting on a microphone and singing, can it be a bit on way too long? Then the blue note, did I cross your mind when I was gone? You're too young, you don't know nothing. See them grown people songs. Why y'all got this boy out here singing that song? Because that message, women and men together, Teddy Pentagrass begging for damn near 30 minutes on I with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All the, that, so, so that's the delivery system. But the principle underneath it is, it's us, y'all. We're in this together. And I'm singing about your life. I'm helping you get your life. This is the context of the blues. This is why even though Billy Holiday said never to have sang many per views, one of them being fine and mellow, still everything in her in her voice is the blue note. And she too is violating then that sacred secular split. She raised a Catholic, but she's riding that sacred secular split. Wait a minute, that's the music of the church. Why? You know, I'm singing precious memories. But then you come along and changed it to the St. Louis blues. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, uh, Marvin Gaye is like, you know what? All that, I'm just going to set that aside. I sang all them church songs, but I'm going to bring all that like Sam Cooke. Rosetta Tharp. I'm going to bring all that into this other thing. This, these categories don't matter to me. Come into Little Nas X. All this going to tie together like crash. I think we're going to work this out. So I'm imagining Jesus on this cross. Jesus with this journey. Jesus showing up in a movie. Ben Franklin said death and taxes. Ho oh, ho. Marvin Gaye said taxes, death and trouble. That's a move. That is a soundtrack for opening movie on the life of Christ. There's only three things for sure. Taxes. Hell, that's why I was born in Bethlehem. My mom and them trying to pay their damn taxes. 
<laughs> they coming to pay their taxes. There's only three things for sure. Taxes, death, uh-huh. And in between, trouble. But Christ, did he come up hard? Yeah, he came up hard. Working class, son of a carpenter. You know, we don't really have many details between the time he's born and the time we see him come. There are a few. Those are the books they left out, the book of James and all these. This is what they call the apocryphal. Uh, you know, y'all can get those so-called lost gospels. But then, this is why I played it on the on the train every day for every morning I'm going to school. I don't feel embattled. I feel empowered. Like Branson Marcel said about the blues. I hear the blues. I don't get sad. I get happy. And he's really singing the blues. He says, I come apart. I had to fight. Mm. Took care of my business with all my might. I come apart. Here's the theological, the way of knowing peace. I had to win. Then start all over. And win again. Pause. This is the meaning of life. Howard Thurman used to preach this sermon all the time. There is no yesterday. There's no tomorrow. You never get to tomorrow, which is why the Buddhist monks tell you hope is an illusion. Why? Because you never get to fulfill it. The only moment you have is right now. I come up hard. I had to win. Then start all over and win again. Every day is an opportunity to win. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Just do the best you can. Be in the now, be in the moment. Tomorrow comes, you wake up. Don't immediately say, damn, I got to let, mm-mm. I had to win. I had to fight. Took care of my business with all my might. This is what Christ doing, the whole life of Christ that we have in the Bible. I had to win, then start all over and win again. Then Marvin says, I come up hard, but that's okay. Cause trouble, man, don't get in my way. Meaning what? Y'all call me trouble man. Y'all call me T. Y'all call me pusher. Y'all call me thug. Y'all call me whatever. But that image you have of me and that image of myself that sometimes slide into that, it don't get in my way. And then this is why I played it. When he goes into that riff, when he's playing those triplets, baba da baba da baba da ba. I says, I know some places and I've seen some faces. I got good connections. They dig my directions. When people say that's okay, they don't bother me. <laughs> Meaning what? I got people. I know some places. I've seen some faces. I got good connections. They dig my directions. Now I'm thinking on a train. I'm thinking now. Re reflecting. I'm thinking now every time I play it. I ain't just talking about living people. I'm talking about every ancestor there is, every yet unborn there is, because we are all in the crosshairs of reality. This is Howard Thurman speaking right now. I can hear him now. What you have right now, Howard Thurman, you hear Howard Thurman, you hear his grandmother who came out of enslavement say, you are somebody. So if you heard Jesse say it, you heard Howard Thurman say it. I'm not going to say any more about Howard Thurman. I said, I said I wasn't going to say any more. But all that is momentum from your ancestors. So when Marvin says, I, you know, I've got good connections, they dig my direction, then he goes, don't care about no trouble. Don't care about no weather. Got myself together. I feel the kind of protection that's all around me. I come up hard, baby. Mm -mm. I feel the kind of protection that's all around me. Y'all not going to pull black people off they square. As long as we remember, we're not here alone. I come up hard. Yeah, that's for sure. But only three things in life that are for sure. Taxes, death, and trouble. But what has the power to manage all that on that cross is the strength to know that this is a cycle. It's an eternal cycle. So little Nas X comes into our consciousness yet again. This young cat. Birthday, his birthday is on the 9th of April. Stop it. 
Stop it. I promise. Are you serious? Serious. Little Nas X shares with Paul Robeson the same birthday. See, y'all think we, I know, look, Professor Hunter, I know they think that we planned this and that we rehearsed this and then. No rehearsal. No, there's no rehearsal because it's all in divine order. Some people don't believe that. Fine. Call it coincidence. Call it whatever you need to call it in your way of knowing, but understand that it has the power of blending into a narrative that helps us understand. And the ultimate, the ultimate purpose of study is to understand, which is why even this week with, with my students, Howard students, um, I was having a very powerful conversation with them and I just listened. I asked the question that, you know, they open it up and they talk and I listen. Um, it's interesting because uh, some of the some of the students came try to come for me. Well, they tried to come for me. It's important to understand that all the distinctions in education have been flattened, so that people don't necessarily understand that you know when you've studied your whole life, you should probably listen to somebody when you're talking about a subject. And then if you disagree, you should probably think about why before you start. You know, <laughs> but but I mean, but hey, that's but but see, that's not young people's point. That's not young people's place. That's for us. I mean, that's why we have narrative. That's why we have these Saturday sessions. That's why we have to help people begin to think who and, and people who are already thinking have conversations about these things to help develop that. So they were, you know, Thursday was April Fool's. So I said, you know, news from Minneapolis. Uh, Derek Chauvin has confessed and pled guilty in his allocation. He says every cop like me should be locked up. Now, hashtag it April Fool. And some, some people got mad. It's not a joke. It's not a joking matter. I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. If you thought that was a joke, then you've missed the whole point of irony. And I understand. And how ironic is it that you would think that that would be a joke? So I opened up class Thursday and they want to talk about it. We talked about it for a long time. But in the, that Tuesday, though, we had talked about Lil Nas X. And so I said, well, let's put some things out there. In the recent recent issue of The New Yorker, this is actually uh, from March 15th, 2021. This is the March 15th issue. There was an interesting article in here. Uh, about the idea of genres. In fact, um, I won't read from it. I just mentioned it for those of you who may want to go and look for it. Uh, it's called, it's by Amanda uh, Petruzic. P-E-T-R-U-S-I-C-H. It's called Our Music Genres on the Way Out. And it's a fascinating, she has a very interesting conversation, she has a very interesting conversation about the nature of genre. Now, interestingly enough, Marvin Gaye's Trouble Man ends up near the top of the charts in R&B and pop because they don't know what genre to put it in. And as Pestrich and many others before her have detailed, genre is really a marketing thing. We know that. In other words, they're putting labels so they can sell stuff. You know, it was a time when black music was considered race music. In fact, Bessie Smith comes out. They record her. Well, Y'all saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. The struggle's there. I'm trying to bring my whole show onto these three minutes and see crazy Ma Rainey. But Ma Rainey is kind of a jegna for Bessie Smith, who leads out with Columbia. She basically builds Columbia Records off the genre called race records. Right? I mean, you see Latifah's even movie. Before you, you can read Bessie Smith and read what's written about her, read Angela Davis's excellent book that talks about them. But ultimately, genre then is a label. 
And then, of course, the whole thing fractures. It fractures again. Uh, the war comes. After the war, you can't put big bands on the road anymore, so you got to shrink it down. I need the drums. I need the, uh, uh, the strings instrument, and I need one other instrument to set it off. The saxophone sounds like a human voice. And that trio then becomes rhythm, drums, and blues, the thing that they're doing over there. R&B, they shrink it down, right? Cats like uh, Eddie Jordan playing the saxophone, you know, Caldonia, Caldonia, what makes your big head so hard? Wow, I love you. Okay, then you know, little Richard and them, Frankie and Imperials and them, James Brown and them. James Brown's like, damn that. I know rhythm and blues, but I'm about to put everybody on stage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wait a minute, how long? Okay, I'll make a three and a half minute version for the money, and then we're gonna have a hundred and fifty-eight thousand million version for the LP. And y'all about yeah, y'all can release Blues and Pants as a single, but if you want the thing, you got to go to the album. And so by the time Biggie comes along with Dreams of yeah, hear that. Go back and play the whole thing. Get James Brown's extended version. But it's all now the market intervening in the culture, intervening in the ability to make cultural meaning making, which is ultimately going to help shift movement and memory. How do we remember what we what we do? We remember what we do in part because the commentaries in any moment speak to the reality of the person doing it, speak to the market that is pushing it, but also speak to the underlying ways of knowing and values that we continue to have even as they shift from time to time. So there's a reason why we can argue with one another, but everybody starts singing, let's get it on. There's a reason why we can commiserate and better, and then you put on, I can love you better. Yeah, there's a reason why we all together, none of us been to church in a million thousand years. Some of y'all ain't never been to church been in a thousand years. But when you put on Aretha Franklin and James Cleveland singing Precious Memories, you realize them Negroes is sacred and secular. When Aretha Franklin says, in the darkness of the midnight, sacred secrets will unfold. Is she talking about Jesus? Yeah. She talking about her man? Yeah. Wait, is Jesus her man? Yeah. Which one? How many more times I got to say, yeah, if you understand all of that is true at the same time. <laughs> so, so all this is coming. So that haven't been said. As Pestrick says, as genre comes up, now you get to the late 80s, early 90s and sound scan appears. Now, of course, those of you old enough to remember SoundScan, like we do, you know, you got the barcode, you go into Tower Records or the places that are no longer there. Of course, you buy, you wait Friday night, they release it. Was the JNR, Professor Hunter, down there yeah. uh City Hall? Is that the... Uh, yeah. it does, it's not there anymore. But it's yeah. not there. No, that's been gone. Um, wow. See, this is why, you know, you got to love the language of Black people. That's why in 1972, Robert Williams and them at the Association of Black Psychologists named it Ebony Phonics. It isn't English. It's us using our rhythms, our phon uh, uh, phonograms, using our ability to link, to make statements. So when you say JNR been gone, somebody might say, well, when did it go? No, she said been gone. And, and then she didn't just say been gone. You've got to hear it. You can't just read B-E-N-N-G-O-N-E. -N -N you said it been gone. I mean, it's tonal as well. That's an African language using English vocabulary words. So it ain't been there in a long time. And I, I remember the pilgrimage, we, pilgrimages we used to make from Philly to go to JNR, and then you wait. <laughs> so sound scan. Remember the scene in, uh, was it Jungle Fever? No, no. Uh, Ernest Dickerson shot this one. It was uh, Wesley Snipes and uh, uh, you talking about uh, Mo Better Blues. When he goes in and stacks up all the CDs to buy and his card is declined. All this. Anyway, you're doing that. But then the CD, but what SoundScan reveals, the three 
genres that show up after the first sound scans is the top three country music hard rock metal and rap a subsidiary of hip-hop what does that tell them they call them micro genres niche markets they say oh my god niche markets are big we didn't realize how big and then you start seeing the trend toward niche markets this this breaks up the idea of these categories into subcategories. We're gonna fast forward for 30 seconds into a moment right now when a guy who was a Nicki Minaj stan with many social media accounts who is confronted by people who say, uh, uh, you 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 must be gay because you're a Nicki Minaj stan. And then he says, No, I'm not gay. And then Nicki Minaj is like, Oh, I thought you were a barb. Barb, of course, meaning a Nicki Minaj stand, a sister who's a Nicki Minaj stand, but the queerness is gonna, 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 gonna destabilize all that. Person I'm talking about, of course, is the man we know as Little Nas X, but who then uh, buys some studio time, gets a sample from overseas, goes in for about an hour in Atlanta area studio, and uploads on the TikTok. Um, take my home, town Well, my God, it sounds like Muddy Waters. That sounds like that blue note. He's between the octaves. I didn't think country music. I thought work songs. <laughs> I thought cadence because I know the you know the cultural meaning makings. Why is it country? Because he said horse. Because he did a TikTok with a cowboy hat on and some chaps. And so who goes ballistic first when it becomes the longest number one in the history since they've been doing the charts? Who goes ballistic? Country music genre. Wait, that ain't country music. They want them to take it off. Come on, man. Are you getting paid? Well, yeah, but but it ain't, you know. No, mm -mm. Are you getting paid? Yeah. Well, who is this guy? Oh, who the hell is Lil Nas X? Tribute to Nas, right? Nas coming out of the genealogy of William Rockham Griffin, right? Nas, who has his own form of blues. Listen to New York State of Mind. I never sleep, because sleep is the cousin of death. There's only three things for sure, taxes, death, and trouble. So part of the reason I don't sleep is because I haven't yet centered myself on the fact that that's just rest restoring me to start again. It is almost a despair lament, but when you hear that piano at the beginning of New York State of Mind, he's playing that blue note, which means he's got the delivery system. I'm listening. And then he starts with the right rhythm and you come in and he say, you know what? That culture meaning making has picked up on something that we have been talking about all the way back. This is the existential reality of being black in America and you trying to resolve it. So now you got a little Nas X. Montero Lamar Hill. Named according to his own, maybe he was trolling when he told the interviewer this, but he said, My parents named me for the Mitsubishi Montero. Damn, movement and memory. <laughs> now, I ain't mad because Sarah Palin held she and her husband Todd named a baby track <laughs> so for it because they was at the tracks. I mean, you know, but the point is that my name has meaning, it ain't the meaning you would have picked necessarily. You know, it ain't Oluwatosin, you know, it's not Malcolm X, but I got the X on there too. In other words, I am genre defying. And what she writes in the New Yorker is it goes from genre to niche. And now 
the market has perfected it. Used to be they had to have A&R people. They had to have people come in and develop, right? I mean, Professor Hunter, you've interviewed more than any of either of us could count. All these people in the industry, you know, coming out, you know, industry rule number 4,080, industry people are shady, record company people are shady. Of course, we know, try to call Quest. Yeah, but guess what? You don't need to do that no more because the technology now, the technology has mediated, it's intervened. So you have cultural meaning making, everybody making their stuff. You don't have to worry about now going somewhere and trying to get some money and make your record like James Brown did the first time, right? Like so many other people did the first time. You go record your and then start selling my trunk of your car like Easy e and them, right? You didn't have to do that. That's cultural meaning making. But now movement and memory has been mediated by an external actor. The technology now wants to curate even how we remember the past. But the important thing is they want to curate it because technology is wedded to the market and institutions don't beat individuals. So now instead of hiring a whole A&R company, I, I remember, I'll never forget the first time I was walked through this in great detail by somebody who has been inside, outside and all around it, my friend Nick Cannon. Let me walk you through how this works. And then I said, hey, man, you can't just tell me. Come on. We walked across the street and he told all the students. I said, right, we're gonna, I'm turning class over to Nick today because we need to walk through this because y'all need to understand this. And of course, they kind of knew. But to hear it from somebody who's been in those rooms. So now, you know what they do? They, they, they get the algorithms and they digest the algorithm and they sit back and they wait for everybody to upload. In other words, the world now is auditioning. And so y'all looking at the voice and things like that, American Idol. Yeah, that's just for people to make more money on advertising and stuff. The real thing is you sitting at your house coming up with something and then you upload it and they sit back and say, let me see the response. Damn, I got 50,000 clicks. Damn, I got 5 million clicks. You, we want to sign you to a deal. Lil Nas X then has been interviewed. Now you don't even got no A&R people. Them people been fired. You don't need them because the market is setting institution. Its obje institutional objectives are profit. And then us as individuals are curated for the market objectives, except we think it was our idea as the algorithms adjust. So as the algorithms adjust, we think we're making choices when we, when we mean, no, the first choice you made was to click the first click. After that, the thing is adjusted. And now people are saying, well, if that's what they want, I'm going to make that. That's why she said when the micro thing got targeted, you see the rise at West Coast, everybody telling their own stories. But then there's a certain thing that's selling and the sales are being uh, driven not by black people, but white people buying rap. They want to be able to dress up, put their black face on, go to their fraternity party Friday night and be gangster. So, you know, when they dropped the chronic in 1992, nothing but a G thing. I got all the gangster and none of the worry about getting shot. I love this some more. And as the more they buy, the more it's worth. And then the more people say, I got to go out and make music like that. So our movement and memory hasn't been displaced, but it's being submersed as cultural meaning making from out, driven by outside algorithms and choices are beginning to shape the way we look. So here comes Montero. Montero's point of entry. Oh, by the way, she also says, perhaps now even the concept of genre, maybe not anymore. Even brand, even niche, maybe not anymore. Maybe brand. Because what's really being sold is brand. Mm. And then she says, well, maybe not even brand. Because when you think about Spotify and how their algorithms curate, maybe it's vibe. Maybe it's just a feeling. Because you're not getting all the same songs, but there's something constant in how it makes you feel. So them people out there are depressed playing that uh, 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 Kurt Cobain style, right? Yeah, that's the blues without the feeling. I mean, it's got the feeling, but you had an anchor. See, the thing about the blues is the right. Thank you, sis. The soul. The soul means that even though I'm feeling this way, I ain't going to feel this way forever. So when you hear Sam Cooke literally doesn't mean he's going to commit suicide. I'm going to lay my head 
on that whatever the line is <laughs> he's my trouble mind right because i mean that's one i'm like sam cook is kind of I, I much prefer lewis armstrong yellow dog blues i mean anyway that's that's wc handy when uh when uh when, when lewis armstrong is talking about the woman whose uh, man has left her and she's going out sending telegrams and the telegrams keep coming back then one day a telegram comes back uh from tennessee and lewis said here's what it said this your easy rider hop this bird today on a southbound rattler there's that blue note side door pullman car seen him here and he was on the hall meaning her informants are now reporting back I know easy riders gotta stay away, so he had to vamp it, but the hike ain't far. Here comes the crossroad. He's gone where the southern crossed the yellow dog. Mm-mm, railroads, they're crossroads. Shit, they said Robert Johnson met the devil at the crossroads, and that's how he learned how to play the blues. Them crossroads is real. So when you see Lil Nas X go from social media to TikTok, then get curated, put his thing out there. Take my... So you got the delivery system and he, now he's going to call it country because he got a certain thing because he's building his brand. Is he a musician? No, he's a brand expert. He's got a vibe going and now he's ready going to release a new album and like Kanye, he knows how to troll these people. I mean, Kanye had to deal with Nike, then he makes his Yeezus separately, right? So here come this man in this red and black. I hear you, brother. That's a uh, that's Curtis Jackson knocking at the door. Here we go. Put them side by side. Uh-oh. He comes knocking on the door because he wants to un- wants us all to understand that what we're watching in Little Nas X, if we watch it from whatever lens we watch it, it's going to yield what we think we're seeing. And I'm not saying what he says he's doing. I'm saying the way we can look at it if we apply long memory, that deep well we've been talking about all these classes. So if we look at our governance structure, who we are to each other, are we really, I asked the students this, I said, you know, what is the major thing holding black life together in America? Is it now just our common oppression? They said, well, maybe so, because you know the black community is not a monolith. I said, you know, y'all keep saying that, but I want y'all to understand the human community is not a monolith. Your family is not a monolith. You're not a monolith with yourself. So when you say the black community is not a monolith, you're really not saying much. I think what you're trying to say is that we have the same range as everyone else. Yeah. I said, so is the only thing holding us together the fact that we face common oppression? Maybe so. I said, well, if that's true, how come that blue note holds us together? How come these human relations hold us together? And how come every time we find an obstacle to that, we are fighting our way out of it? So he said, well, so we had a very interesting conversation about that. I said, so, so when we see our brother Montero Hill, I want to ask y'all a question about this because he's young. He grew up in the church. Uh-oh. Billy Holiday was Catholic. Marvin Gaye grew up in the church. Just got hair and grandma made sure he went to church. They know the church, they know the movement and memory, they know the culture, meaning making, they know the ways of knowing. Except he, in terms of his sexuality, is overflowing the boundaries of the church. So people say, see, the, the black church is a is a sexist. Everybody pause. Because we all knew and know people whose sexuality doesn't fit the binaries of the West. And here's a bulletin to everyone: nobody's sexuality in the world fits the binaries of the West. The West made that head trip up of binaries and is still wrestling with it. And our mistake is following behind them, trying to make sense of it. It doesn't work, y'all. 
<laughs> Maybe go ahead. Go uh, no, I mean, because we, you know, we started this conversation, which is why you made me watch. Uh, you didn't make me watch Brother John, but yeah. dropped it in my, my spirit <laughs> when we were talking about Howard Thurman. And, you know, I asked the question about the Africans because this is the largest African studies class room in the world. Yes. When the Africans were brought here, we, we know that most of them were followers of Islam. Well, the, those who were in Islam or Christianity were in Islam. Yeah, but most of them were neither Muslim or Christian. But yes. Right. And, and they were honorers of ancestors, right? No question about it. So I asked this question because, you know, people were obsessed and there are people in the comments right now obsessed with this young boy's sexuality. As if that that's the, that's the story. I think that's the distraction. That we, and anyone that caught up in somebody else's sexuality, they're not sleeping with you. So why do you care so much? But I asked you this question about, and, and you're telling on yourself too, by the way, if you're that obsessed with some, what somebody else is doing. Oh yeah, that's what we used to say we were kids. Tell if, you, if you keep if you keep talking about it, why you keep talking about this? Ain't nobody else talking about it with you. Why you keep anyway? But yes. <laughs> so I asked you what what would the Africans say about this? And you you brought up you know the the whole issue and and the the red the black the demons. I was like, what what is Satan to the Africans? You know Ooh. this this you know he's coming down. He's giving Satan a lap dance. What would the Africans? What were they doing? And go. you you know. The, all right, let me. No, 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 no. Keep going. I'm just looking because I got one more thing I want to see if I can find it. If I can't, we won't talk about that book today. I, I really don't need it, but I like having it here. So, 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 ah, uh, yes, here we go. Ah, it's too big to hide. Undefeated. It has to hit um, and that's where I was going. Okay. No, no, we were, no, but we're right there. We needed to be where we are exactly where we need to be. Lil Nas X asked the same question in the video accompanying, but before we get there, we need to get to the shoes, right? He he, he sells these devil shoes. What is it? And, and this is, uh, Nike's a hypocrite because they, they allowed the same company, Mischief, to sell Jesus shoes with a little drop of holy water in it. Right. So now, now you, you cease and desist in this, like make up your mind. Like you, you mad about this, but you aren't mad about the Jesus shoes. Well, let me ask, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Professor Hunter. It's one thing to have some tap water that you had a jack leg minister run a hand over at one of the factories and then say the rest of it's blessed by extension. Do you think their lawyers got involved when it was an ostensibly human blood? Was it human blood? No, of course it wasn't. <laughs> but the idea that they could I say mean, it was. This, the hypocrisy <laughs> of that is, you know, um, and, and, and again, this whole notion of good and evil as if God didn't make everything. Well, see that now you're talking about a way of knowing that overflows okay. the boundaries, the capitalism, okay. and the legal structure. We're in no, no, that's, that's very important. That's very important. Um, in fact, just because you did the right thing doesn't mean that you did the legal thing. I was just reading a uh, case last week. You see, let those damn officers go that beat up the brother down there in St. Louis and the sister, anyway. But that's a whole nother thing, but. But you're raising you're raising a much broader and deeper conceptual point. The law is not set up for that, not in the West. That's very important that what you're raising. And so what Nas is doing is Lil Nas X is in a long tradition of troubling those boundaries. Now, do you like what he's doing? Do you dislike what he's doing? That ain't the point. And this is where issue comes in. In this sense. But before I bring him in, let's get this deal with these shoes right quick, as you say. Uh, the Bible verse, and somebody could look it up. Uh, 
they were sold for what one thousand and fourteen or one thousand and eighteen dollars. I, I, I thought they sold them for six six hundred and sixty six dollars, and they sold. Well, I think they made six hundred sixty six copies. Oh, okay. I didn't know what they. I didn't care enough to. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's scary. It's scary. Might have been a thousand. I wasn't buying them, so I. Well, we got to figure. I know six six okay, doesn't involve in ten eighteen, but ten eighteen is a Bible verse. So. He's definitely trolling. Lil Nas X is 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 part of this contemporary moment when the market has shifted to be able to capitalize, not capitalize, although capitalize means you invest in somebody to be able to do it, but they've been able to monetize branding. He's selling himself is what he's doing. Mm. He said like, not, yeah, yay. I mean, not to say yay didn't have some great stuff. I mean, I imagine that if you had played Jesus Walks, as the lead-in song before Howard Thurman give a sermon, Thurman probably look up in the air and figure out a way to make it work if he couldn't escape it because he's talking about all <laughs> them people who are the disinherited. So there, there is a there is a plumb line again, which is why people still talk about Jesus walks, right? Jesus walks with me. But to go to another hip-hop song where uh, Kanye is evoked for them sneakers, you can go to the uh, Nike commercial that doubled as a song and then they got some of the hip-hop greats to make the lyrics which is why people experience that as a song but forget it was a commercial when you got krs one you got nas uh you you got a you know um you got rakim and rakim says i bet you Khan had a on when he walked with jesus it's a classic better than you ever been the classic they're talking to one is what nas who's also in that song says it's the Air Force Ones. Yeah, that's the hustler shoe. That's what I'm accustomed to. It's a classic. No, Nike is going to absorb all this cultural meaning making, monetize it, package it, and sell it back to you because what they realized early on when Run DMC makes a song that ain't even thinking about making money, my Adidas walked through closet doors and stomped all over Coliseum floors. When I went on stage at Live Aid, all the people prayed and the poor got paid. Like, Whoa, Adidas is like, yeah, okay. We make tennis shoes, literally for playing tennis. That's why old people in your house call them tennis shoes. But we about to make all the money. Then my man's and them coming along talking about smoking trees and shit. Timberland is like, oh, we're gonna we for hiking. We're gonna make all the money. Nike, which was a running shoe, was I was in junior high school running track. Gonna be basketball shoes. And what do they do? They go get a young brother who's just new to the NBA, not quite a rookie like Henry Aaron was when he was like, he talking about me before or after the contract. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, after his sophomore year in North Carolina, that is just after Spike Lee has released She's Gotta Have It. The black and white film, Tracy Camilla Johns, you know, y'all know the cast, who we all thought was going to be a star from now on. But I'm like, what happened to Tracy Camilla Johns? And maybe the same thing happened to Teresa Randall. I mean, they got winners and losers in Hollywood for black women, especially. So that's, that's a damn shame. But at any rate, <laughs> when you see that, right, love story, right? There's a girl that I once knew who often had a friend or two. She gave them time, love, wit, and rhyme, sublime. Bill Lee. His father, the jazz artist, got the blue note. There she goes on her merry way. But she's only queen for a day. I mean, we all saw she's got to have it. Blew us away. Guess who else it blew it away? Nike account executives who were getting ready to put Michael Jordan in as the face of their rebranding to sell all the shoes in the damn world. And they went and got Spike Lee, who made the black and white film, She's got to have it to make the first black and white commercial money 
it's got to be the shoes. <laughs> Go back and look at that commercial. It's the same black and white, and she's got to have it. And Nike, off to the races until now. We got you, Negroes. We got your cultural meaning-making. We've hooked it to the intervention of the market, and we're going to make all the money. So, yes, but unlike with Kanye, Lil Nas X, he's still kind of new to the game. Brilliant, though. He know how to, he look, man, the man flipped Nicki Minaj's stand accounts to being bigger than everybody. <laughs> so he's selling in this moment of cultural meaning-making in partnership, and the reason why, uh, a lot of people are speculating. John Karamaka in the New York Times being one last week, which uh, we read in class. I said, let's read this article. I want to see what y'all think about this. Karamaka and others say the reason Nike sued the company and not Lil Nas X, we both know, Professor Hunter, because <laughs> they're going to work with Lil Nas X. In other words, hey, bruh, hell, for all we know, this is a dog and pony show. Maybe we're set up for the Who knows? But the bottom line is the holy grail for him is partnership with Nike. And so that having been said, how does that shoe figure with that? How does it now? We're looking at it one way. We can have a conversation that's going to stimulate dialogue. But if we're looking at it in a long view Africana lens, we're looking at it with long memory of ways of knowing, then we understand that in that those devil shoes are black and red. He's holding them up. He got the little fake eyes in his, you know, whatever. Then he makes this video for this call me by your name, Montero with his name. And He's laying under this tree. So I asked the students, I said, I ain't playing this video in class because all y'all done seen it anyway. Did y'all see what was it? What was it? Oh, that was the Garden of Eden. That was the devil. In the okay, everybody pause. So I see for many of y'all, this must be the first class we had together because we deal with this in my class, Black Aesthetics, and also in Introduction to African States. We started talking about ways of knowing. I said, What was written on the trunk? Oh, yeah, something that burned up. Okay, that's something that burned up was in Greek. Theophilo Benga taught me a little Greek when I was in grad school. And I was with Lethia Watkins, Mario Beatty. We sat there and learned a little Greek. Right? Not a lot. Claudrina Harold, who was an undergrad at the time, he taught her Greek too. She kept taking Greek. She took some Greek classes. I don't remember enough Attic Greek in terms of the do the translation, but I paused the video, wrote down the letters, and started trying to remember. Then I went and got my uh, 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 Scott, Scott uh, Liddell and Scott, which is the Greek English lexicon, ancient Greek, Attic Greek different forms let me say and i said you know what after i got stumbled my way through a little bit i said no nah, i'm not gonna be able to do this so i looked it up it's from plato symposium it deals with duality that's one of the words i got right in other words he burnt off the tree the notion of dualism i'm going to burn off the western concept except he only burned off the words he didn't burn off the concept because heaven and hell is a duality out of the west so then he goes up, he's close to the white, the angels, whatever. Then the stripper pole shows up in his hand. He slides down into the lap of the devil. Everybody got on red and black. Those are the colors of SU. This SU. This is one of the, I like this book. There are a lot of books on SU. SU, you're about God, power, and the imaginative frontiers. This is by uh, Toyin, Toyin Falola, the great Nigerian scholar who's at the University of Texas, Austin right now. Brilliant brother. Has written or edited, I mean, scores of books. But I like this one on SU. In fact, this came out in 2013, I want to say. And the first place I saw it was on the desk of, yeah, 2013, his friend. And I finally got a chance to meet Tonya Falola. I'm glad he came to the Library of Congress. And I, I, I just, that is a day now that it's over. Y'all can't do nothing about it. 
where I canceled class. I got to go see Toya and Falola. He's too close for me not to. And I got, I brought all my books, well, many of them for him to sign. He had released a new book on the humanities in Africa. I came, it was great. Um, shout out to all the black people, include, really those black women, a lot of black women who work on the staff of the Library of Congress. So it isn't just Carla Hayden, the librarian of, of, of Congress, the daughter of Sachette. It's a lot of sisters working at the Library of Congress. Shout out to y'all, particularly in the African division. It's because that's who brought it together. So, but for Lola, I saw it on the desk of his friend, Shagun Badageshin, who was the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at the time, uh, Baba, Baba Shagun. I was like, man, Falola got a new book. He's like, yeah, he sent this one to me. And I said, okay, now I got to go out and get it. So in reading Eshu, it just reinforced things I read other places and then heard more importantly, well, differently importantly, from people who are practitioners of uh, Ifa and many other places. Because understand that Eshu starts in Yoruba land. So centuries ago, but Eshu eventually is collected. He gets brought into the uh, the genealogy of Eshu is fascinating. He gets he gets brought in as the font in what is now Dahomey, you know, uh, begin to invade Yoruba land and they're having these wars, whether it be going to the port at Wida, going to uh, Abomi uh, to get on the boat. People being forced onto these boats in this European slave trade that you're forcing Africans to create you know, and then Africans are taking advantage of the situation to expand empires or to prevent themselves from going. It's very complicated. We've talked about that. That on um, when it gets to uh, that place, that's where uh, one of the places that that's where is where Dijima Hansu. We talked about the Haitian Revolution and talking about Vodun coming out of Dahomey, coming out of what is now Benin, being one of those places. You know, he's that's what he's talking about. And what you see is as Shu begins as the cat who is part of creation. First of all, there's no gender of God. Okay. God is not woman or man. God is God. God has female and male principles or female and male assignments, variations, depending on who is involved, because they're always looking at duality as forming a whole. So duality is about splitting. Duality is about different manifestations of a whole. You see it in the Egyptian. It is Amun, Amunet. Ka, ka, het, ha, ha, het, what they call the uncreated ones, the eight ones, then the nine, the you know, the Aeneid. You always have women and men, I mean, female and male. I won't say women and men because that's going to reduce it just to humanity. Women and men are social categorizations. Now, biologically, male, female, conceptually, duality. That's what you're really talking about. So out of everything that is created, Eshu comes out as like the thing, the, the spirit, the, uh, the, the Orisha, for the Yoruba people, uh, eventually when he gets when he gets to uh, Haiti and Vodun, the Loa, Loa, he he comes as the possessor of life force, the Ashe, and he is he is represented. You see him as very small. In other words, in fact, there's a very good. This is a this is a. This, in fact, let me just read a description of Eshu. This is from a book called uh, Eshu the Divine Trickster. It's really a collection of essays, but I like it because it's got a lot of pictures in it. You know, the picture books are important. But here's a description, I think, to give you a, a notion of Eshu. This, this African concept and way of knowing that exists as one of a universe of names and, and, and modalities to basically be, like Howard Thurman might say, a handle for human beings looking and experiencing reality to reduce realities is something they can move around so that their minds can get around it. Eshu. Eshu is the divine messenger between God and humanity. Eshu sits at the crossroad. Ooh. At the crossroad on the cross 
Remember all the time these people have to get after Prince and all this stuff about being on the cross. Then Madonna, Madonna, I'm sorry, because Catholicism can't get you there, hanging on this cross, right? Because that duality can't be reconciled. You got God and the devil. Once you put it into God and the devil, it's a setup. You got to pick. Anyway, Eshu is the Orisha that offers choices and possibilities. Oh, Eshu is the gatekeeper, the guardian of the door. By the way, by the time he gets on that boat in Dahomey and gets brought over to Haiti, he survives the trip. He's in the Haitian ways of knowing that will become Vodun. But what doesn't survive the trip in the same way are the people who know the playbook. So the playbooks of the Yoruba, and there's very complex, different Yoruba, different places. Ife, you got different places, right? Those priests don't get caught up in the trade and stay together when they're in what is now Abomi uh, 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 or the phone people come get them. And then as it survives the boat, they don't get placed together in Haiti, but what continues is the practices. So what you see then is a new group of thinkers who are going to make up the rules. Eshu starts as the gatekeeper, guarding the door, safeguards the principles of free will, the keeper of the ashe, the life force, the power to make things happen, all kind of brilliant stories about how he manifests that. He is called the divine trickster that lures man's emotions into creating variety, which makes life spicy. Why is that important? Eshu at the crossroads is, lives at the crossroads. He's usually, sometimes you see him, like if you go on, I ain't telling no secrets. Everybody knows what it was. You're going to a botanica and you see the thing look like a little coconut and it's got two little cowrie eyes and a little mouth. That's Eshu. Sometimes you come to my house, you see it sitting there. Eshu is the protector because Eshu, Eshu, uh, um, Eshu is the only one. And he changes names. Elibara. By the time he gets to Vodun, they get it up running. He's Papa Legba. There's a very serious moment like that. I'll talk about that in a second. That's why Lil Nas X is important in this thing. If you're going to look at it through an Af some Africana lenses, there's no one Africana lens. The He is at the crossroads. You can't stay at the crossroads. You ain't got to wait like that. You got to make a choice. Just like everybody had to choose. I was 12 years old. So was Howard Thurman. When he joined the church, you got to join your own free will. <laughs> in other words but free will how do you know what choice to make that's going to be that's going to depend on where you were brought up how you were brought up what you've experienced all that's going to come to bear and so at this moment that we're in you have to make a choice but you can't stay at the crossroads when you come to a crossroads in your life you have to make a choice so he goes on and says su brings out the fool in man su brings out the symbolic child in man Eshu's mischief serves to wake a person up and teach them a lesson. Eshu represents the balance of nature, day and night, white and black, construction and deconstruction. He's an old man and a child, the absolutely ba absolute balancer of nature. He has a voracious appetite. He has a constant drive and is always ready. By always ready, they mean you often see his iconography, you'll see an erect penis because he is seen as this kind of possessor of the life force. So that life force represented in the male dimension is the penis. Right. You often see it in the female as water, you know, whether it be Oshun. I mean, you know, we talked about Beyonce. I go back on the narrative side and see when we had the whole conversation about Beyonce and Black is King. And before that, all her other uh, work in there. Eshu counterbalances aspects of our reality. Eshu is the patron of the underworld and their way of survival. By underworld, they don't mean the hell. So what they're saying is by the time he gets to Haiti and it gets remixed again and they start making up rules. He loses the erect penis force and they make him into an old man, Papa Legba. Papa Legba, though, guarding at the crossroads, the graveyard. I'm standing between life and death. And you got to pick. 
So it's very important to think, and his colors again, red and black. And there's a whole this stories behind red and black. So when I'm looking at little Nas X sliding down that black stripper pole into the devil's lap. I'm saying most people are not going to see this. They're going to think now we got to get into another fight about Christianity. Okay. You could do it that way. Or you could think about the idea that if you're really thinking about this, if you want to talk about his sexuality and the challenges he had growing up and him trying to express himself and be at one with himself, like my students were saying, I said, I get it all. I said, well, why do you need the word queer? Well, I mean, queerness is a, is a label that allows us. I say, yeah, I do understand why. And I understand the aspiration to it. And I even understand the logic behind it. But if you expand your vocabulary, use a, do what people tell young people all the time. Use your words. Oh, you don't have the words yet. Let's go back as Oyewanke, Oyewumi, and so many others would do to concepts that don't require gender binaries. If you can do that, we can then look at what else he's trying to communicate without getting caught up on this male-female binary that we've had. And I'm not saying, you know, pros or cons. However, I'm saying we got other language. Just use some more words. And in thinking about, for example, in, uh, in, in Dahomey, for example, you see him as a patron of Badu. Badu is seen as the female dimension of Ifa, who is seen as like the one who resolves conflict through divination, through understanding, through thinking through things, through narratives. Eshu is seen as the other side. He is the one that encourages what we might call chaos, because you got to pick. You can't stay here with me. I'm here. You know, I know what's going on. I see it all. You I don't know what you're going to do. What you going to do? 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 Huh? Hey, well, I'm going to take my horse down Old Town Road. What you going to do? What you going to call me by your name? I mean, what you going to Now, everybody picking. They see that. Oh, I got to pick. I got to pick. And you go to the thing that's in you. That's what the Yoruba might call Iwa. But in, but it gets the phone to the homie. Badu is the female representation of Iwa. And in one of the stories that they tell, Eshu wakes her up every morning going up into heaven what we would call heaven, wakes her up, but then he stays there until he has sex with her because this is the, the erect penis issue. Eventually, she get tired of that. And she says, this dude got to stop. So she brings him up for judgment, accuses him of what we might call rape. I didn't want this. Now, I want y'all to pause here and think about this, meaning what? Nobody in existence escapes judgment. This is what serious African principle, meaning what even the Orisha got courts of law. And so what they say is, yeah, you did it. So here's your punishment. You're not going to lose your sex drive. You just will never be satisfied. So Eshu can never be satisfied. So Eshu is not something or someone you can contain. And Eshu has these dimensions that's going to make you bring out whatever is in you. And have to work on your character if you want it to change. So Eshu is not good or evil, but Eshu is necessary. They say this is a bitch, a big rich town. <laughs> I just come from the poorest part. <laughs> Legal or illegal, baby. I gotta make it. I never took a straight path nowhere. So when you see Curtis Jackson, he's not good or evil. He's necessary, though. You gotta make a choice. You got to make a choice, Ghost. You got to make a choice, Tyreek. And every choice you make, it's not going to be about him. It's going to be about your character. You understand? Because at the end, the thing that Eshu has is the Ashe. Or maybe we call it now, I don't know, uh, 
power. But the point is that the you're gonna have to choose at the crossroads. So when Lil Nas X, yeah, he a troll. We will call him a troll now. But I say, no, use your words. Use your words. Let's say let's let's say SU. Because see, by saying SU and then saying, well, that part ain't SU, or that part is SU, SU, because what does he do? Slide down to pole, gives a lap dance to the devil, then kills him. Oh, so is he a good guy or a bad guy? He's a shoe. What do you think about your life after watching that? That's that's the power of see, and I'll stop there now because we we and, and some many of you all y'all sign up for narrative. See, Professor Hunter, wouldn't it be nice to get many of these people who are practitioners of Africana ways of knowing whether they be uh Caronble or Santeria or the various forms of Orisha to come into narrative, create a group. And do a whole thing, and then we produce. Now y'all want to do with little Isaac? Now we're gonna tell you what, how we narrate this, and don't even get in these arguments these people get in. Yeah, I mean because I think the the setup is for us to stay in conflict. That is exactly right. Over things that, if it's not your proclivity, why do you care? So you know, is the goal for everybody to walk in lockstep? Does that make us weak or strong? Like I feel like we're at a point where we can't toss anybody to the side, no. Nope. all hands on deck, just as right. humanity, because everybody's bringing something to this right. stew. So I, right. I'm grateful. I asked you a question about sin uh, this week, you know, and because many of us, as we hit into this Easter uh, holiday, mm. this made up holiday. Um, <laughs> all holidays are made up. So. Yes, we've, we've <laughs> had many discussions about that. Yes, we, have. we head into this, this, this high holy weekend, um, yeah. You know, the notion of sin, heaven and hell and hmm. the ways that we stay out of hell and, and, and the thing that, you know, you said something interesting. We were talking yesterday about how when, when our ancestors came here, we could get with the whole cross thing, as you brought up. But then the heaven and hell thing we couldn't get with. No. But then they stole our children. Right. You, you said they snatched our children. You also said people wearing cross around crosses around their necks because well, I, I stopped yeah. wearing you said, why not? Well, Je- well of course, and many people here know that. I mean, Jesse Jackson wrote about that in a, in a, in a book he co-wrote with Jesse Jackson Jr., Jesse Jackson Sr. He said that was the instrument of death penalty, giving somebody the death penalty when Jesus was around. So you should probably have an electric chair around your neck. Why not? Because you just look at that symbol is the symbol of death. It's a symbol of state violence. So if you're going to be a follower and those who would give their life, if you're going to be part of disinherited that following Jesus, who Howard Thurman is saying is a, is, is an example for those who are disinherited, then you are you willing to take up the cross? I mean, the uh, electric chair and what you said about sin. I'll say this very quick. This is not even 60 seconds. Um, Paget Henry, the first time I read about this and thought about it was Paget Henry, who was an Afro-Caribbean philosopher many years at Brown University. He wrote a chapter in Lewis Gordon's book, Existence in Black. Uh, Lou Gordon edited that book. And he talks about the idea that, you know, he 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 thinks, you know, when these Africans come over here, these from all these different places, thousands of languages, different parts of the second largest continent in the world, they get stuffed into this enslavement. But their ways of knowing don't make these binaries. No matter how different they are from each other, there are some commonalities. And one of them is the idea that you burn forever in a place, that you cease to exist. There's no cycle. No, it's either this or that. And if you don't say, mother, may I? You're going to hell. What is hell? Man, get out of here with that. Yeah, y'all crazy. But the children don't know. And if you can get the children away, and then their children, and their children, then we come up where we are today. Where are we today? We still don't recognize those binaries completely because the echo is still there in various ways. But we have bought into enough 
to do as Page Henry says, once you believe that, you come running and you say, what must I do to be saved? And so it is that binary in this faith tradition where God has been removed from a connection to you that says even God got to go on trial. No, God can't. God is God. Well, what's between God and me? Grace. You couldn't do nothing about it. Oh, no. Nah. Because even black people in their songs don't. I told Jesus it'd be all right if he changed my name. You told Jesus? Yeah, because me and Jesus got a different kind of relationship. And they don't even deal with the binary. Jesus is a mother to the motherless. Well, well, how is he a mother? That's that echo of Africa in my ear somewhere. I'm not sure. But what must I do to be saved, Massa? Okay, Massa's white Jesus. They flipped that. And I don't have any problem with white Jesus or white people, if you want to believe that. But as Henry Neal Turner said in the late 19th century, when he wrote his famous God is a Negro, he said, I believe God is the color of the grass, the sky, the water all that. But if God must have a human form, then God is a Negro. Only a slave would make the picture of your God a picture of the master. <laughs> that doesn't make no damn sense. So it makes sense for them. Why would, they, why would you do that? So the running to be slave, uh, running to be saved was a matter of control, Christian control. And most of us weren't Christians anyway. And I would argue that most of us still aren't Christians or Muslims in the strict sense because Africana Islam and Africana Christianity still has enough of its cultural ways of knowing to make it distinct, whether it be the Muslims in West Africa or New York City, or whether it be the Christians all over the South or in the Holiness and Pentecostal Church, there's still this notion of spirituality that informs it. But sin, sin is, is the most powerful legacy of Euro-Christianity because sin in many ways, to quote finally the great Janet Jackson, is a story about control. <laughs> So anyway. Thank you so much. All right. And and I don't even want to add to it. Let's bring in uh Marika from Minnesota. We are hidden into Marika the, is in Minnesota. To the, from the Q to the QA. And uh thank you again, Dr. Carr. Oh my God, you are so masterful. No. I'm Marika from Minnesota, uh the, the home of George Floyd. Mm. Uh he lived for uh, in Minnesota for a while, but he is not from Minnesota. Yes. Right. North Carolina by Texas, by the way. You up there with my good friend from Rochester, who Dr. Uh, uh, Professor Hunter has been bringing in for some commentary, Angie Porter, who was a yes. lawyer there. So, uh, oh, yeah, you know, how you doing, sis? What's going on? We're doing okay here. I want to say I'm doing better, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, as you call the plague, and the trial is real and happening in our everyday lives. So it's a lot. We're with y'all, though. I mean, right. please know that. And we uh so you uh, anyway I don't want I don't want to interrupt please go right ahead let's let's have a conversation what's going on um so we have been doing a lot of work about thinking about black futures here in the Twin Cities and <clears throat> one of the challenges we've come up against is the black imagination and so we asked this question and we had a we had a group uh, get together for a black think tank we're all in education we've been working on the school to prison pipeline and we said. What does education look like in the future if you eliminate and remove the isms and the oppression and all these other pieces? Let us imagine for ourselves what future education looks like. And my challenge was folks were still responding to the isms. Oh, we need to get some teachers of color. Oh, we need to have smaller class sizes. We need to have more money in the institutions. And so I want to provoke us as a community to start that imagining, that seeding, that rooting and that building. But I wanna ask you, what does our future look like in your imagination? And 
any if you want to get as specific to because I know you have a heart for education, what does it look like for the future of education for us, our children in the community? 50 years from now. 50 years from now. If we're here, right? <laughs> um, let me say very quickly, based on where you are, uh, Marika, I'll use an example from right there in the Twin Cities. Umbra Theater, where it's a bad black Bart from the Bad Hills, but August Wilson lived out there, of course. He, he was out there with y'all for a minute. August Wilson, Frederick Cottrell, didn't finish high school, uh, went to the library, read books, taught himself, and hung out in the Hill District of Pittsburgh and listened. Listened to elders, listened to children, listened to voices, and his talent was, one of his talents was listening to the rhythms of our people and educating himself. He was a constant reader and, and a voracious reader and studier. But he didn't finish formal education and when he came out to minnesota it was really uh, kind of in the in the echo of and i say continuation of i don't think the black arts movement ever stopped but the the commitment of umbra was to tell our stories and in telling our stories in terms of creation creativity which we've never been short on the idea was to also dig into our memory into our experiences and use those as a place to mine new ways of imagining the future. And I think that's what is at the heart of black futures. Generally, Afrofuturism, as some people call it, there is, we can't lose sight of the fact that it must be deeply and firmly grounded in our expanded sense of memory, our memory of what we have been. And I don't mean since the boats pulled up, obviously, I mean, since the beginning of humanity, that gives us the richness and the fertile minds to be able to imagine futures that we don't have to necessarily set out any parameters for except that it keeps us alive keeps us on the planet and not just as black people but as the black contribution to human beings doing it this is what i think wb du bois is trying to work out even as early as 1897 in his speech here in dc the conservation of races this is why it's important for cultures to replicate themselves and anyway i don't get too abstract on that so it says starting with that now what does it look like for me it has looked in the 30 years now the lower 30 years, actually. I taught my first college class at 25, so I guess it's 30 years at Ohio State. It has looked like perpetual failure and, and successes. The failures have been structural. So the conversations you all are having and the responses, smaller class size, more black teachers, those are to be expected when our imaginations have been robbed of the momentum of our memory. So that we think of the solutions in terms of what we have been taught and socialized to believe are the solutions, which are in fact solutions for the social structure that we live in, not solutions for us. Because the purpose of education in this social structure is to slot everybody where they are necessary to keep the market going, to keep the political economy in the position it's in. And our people have never been at the top. We were brought here not to be at the bottom after they tried to wipe the table of another uh, heterogeneous group of people who are up there where you all are. Uh, the Native Americans. So it's difficult for us to have an imagination as long as our memory is tethered to people for whom we didn't exist until we were brought into something as subhuman. We're never going to be able to imagine as long as that is. And in fact, that's why I don't use the term black excellence. I mean, I, I hear my young people, hear our, our young people, you know, 
oh, we black excellence. We're black excellence. I'm like, nah. As a man from up there, Prince Rogers Nelson would say, you know, we don't care what Albert Einstein did. <laughs> rather know, rather know how to build a pyramid. <laughs> when you go look at his, uh, oh my God, there's the bridge we're going to walk across to help answer that question, at least as far as I'm concerned, Marika. Go to the Bamboozled soundtrack, Spike Lee's Bamboozle. On that uh, soundtrack, may even be the second song after Stevie Wonder in a collaboration with Imhotep Gary Bird has one uh, on there, which is brilliant. Um, misrepresented people. He begins that. Prince has one called Radical Man 2045. He said, where will we be in 2045? And then he says, you know what's going to stop it? I won't repeat the N-word, but he said, the N-word. Then he goes on. He said, yeah, some of y'all wear, some of you ends wear suits and ties and run corporations. And then, in fact, he's got a little hip-hop rapping and he says, schooled in the art of digital games. When the war broke out, they called your name. Everyone of color put on the front line, Genocide Avenue 2009. But of course, this is before either 20, but the whole idea is, and now, of course, drone strikes, everything, people sitting in Virginia killing people in uh, in, in Yemen because they've been playing video games. So people say, well, education, we need to learn how to code and we need to rate good computer programs. Your children are playing Grand Theft Auto while you're in here arguing about getting more people to learn how to code. You understand that's all setting up. Not that they shouldn't learn. They should learn. But why, why, where are the ideas for the games coming from? What do they want to do with the games? They want to create a more realistic murder, more realistic rape, more realistic bombing somebody? No. The imagination has to be developed by the momentum of memory, which is why I think in my mind, if we can get structurally, institutionally control of enough places, and I've seen it. I've seen it with many of the great educators, Barbara Sizemore and Nam Haki and Sapisha Madabudi in Chicago, the Institute for Higher Education, my man Jitube Usi, the great uh, educator who was representative of the East out there in New York, all the people who have done the African-centered movement, all these people. I mean, if you can get an institution where the children can be introduced to memory, then you get out of the way of their creativity and they begin to create out of memory of what we have done, then we don't have to predict the future. We just know that it's going to ultimately feed humanity. But that's going to finally create a rupture. And that's where and that's where we have to be uh, mindful. This is not going to be easy because we will walk off the plantations. When I saw Ryan Coogler say last week that he was invited to become a member, a member of the uh, Motion Picture Academy of Arts and he rejected it. No shade, but I don't, you know, I prefer not to. Yeah, I don't need to be judged by, okay, bro, I see you. I see you. Now, too many of y'all do that. One, it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, Black Lives Matter, woke culture. Two of y'all do that. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Three, four, five. Oh, hell no. Okay, at this point, we need to start stripping these budgets. Because as long as it's one of y'all, if you get too far afield, we can, we can, you know, and then we'll just wait a generation. And without the momentum of memory, y'all think Sidney Poitier was just a sellout. So yeah, well, Marika, please uh, give me give me some feedback on that. Or think about it. Yeah, what are y'all doing? Yeah. Well, I just I also wanted to just you know I work in education broadly. Um, I figured you were educator. Yeah. <laughs> I do education and technology, but um, since the murder of George Floyd, we actually recognized that there was like a dearth of young people's voice in response to what was happening around them. We recognize that they were not talking about it in schools and young people are looking around like this is a lot going on. And so we actually uh, launched the youth led response to the murder of George Floyd. Oh. And so they've actually been uh, working on their individual projects and they just finished their first cohort. 
So some of the projects they worked on, which will give you a real sense of what we're grappling with here on the ground is, so they did a podcast that talked with the elder African-American population and the younger, because you know, it tore up our city having the conversation about defunding police, right? Or abolishing police. And so young people were grappling with the elders. And so we had to like draw that conversation out. So that was one result. Where, where can we see that? Yeah, definitely. So we can hear it. We will share it with you. Okay. Uh, I'm also going to share that one of our young people wrote a children's book to help explain oh. of George Floyd. And so it talks about organizing shops in Minnesota. Story tells a story, story, about tells a story about organizing. And so she wrote this book to help explain in schools what was going around with young, young with, uh, with children in schools. And so she wrote this book talking about George Floyd. Oh. Um, another thing that they worked on is uh, our young people are b building out a website um, on Black Film and Lit. So K-Narrative is everything to us right now. Yeah. So are looking at the state standards, connecting their Black Lit and Film, and then connecting their teachers with it, and working and pushing on ethnic studies at a very aggressive level. And then we had a youth roundtable forum to talk about school climate during the during the pandemic and George Floyd and gave folks voice where adults could be in the space, but they needed to sit back while the young people were talking. And so like we continue to build out on these projects with young people because again, you see a lot of familiar faces in the media, but it's not, we work with young people from 14 to 24 because we model it after the civil rights movement, meaning that they needed to interact with each other as they're struggling through That's right. their, their justice projects. Well, well my freedom school, uh, freedom this school. Did. yeah, that's exactly yes. right. Yes, yes. So help me with a couple couple of questions as very quick, and then we, we I know we got to move. So intergenerational. Mm -hmm. I heard this from a First Nations uh, friend a few weeks ago. I was on a conversation, and she before she spoke, like we used to, we would always we will always say, you know, I asked permission from the elders to. Yes. Continue. She she asked forgiveness. She said, "Please forgive me, all the elders who are here, for speaking uh, at this moment." Which, of course, you know, recognizing Asian experience. How do y'all balance in this intergenerational conversation, centering young voices at the same time that you are clearly drawing on the wisdom and experience of those who have lived longer? How, what kind of what has that? Because that intergenerational thing is, is necessary. We use a restorative process. We use and so we have our rituals that we bring into that process. And so our young people are trained to, even though this is a youth-led space. Mm -hmm. We still get permission to leave the space. I love it. See, this and, is and we don't step back completely as adults to be invisible. As some people think, like that—that's what youth-led means. No, it means we're there to support you, help guide you. When when you bump against these tensions, we're going to walk you through it and hold your hand yes. so that you don't disrespect and divide. Yeah, Ella Joe Baker, Marika, <laughs> I, I, listen. Make sure we got your information. Oh, well, I well, I see never. Yeah, no, I, I definitely wow. want to get it. And then she's repping the global majority. I see. Oh, oh, look at her! Yeah. Yeah, I see and that. I continue this conversation about education. Education on K narrative. I set out my profile. Yes. Um, I just really quick. The K, the K is silent like knowledge. The K is silent. So it's just narrative. It. We, we are remixing. I love it. So I have my bookshelf behind me. I wanted to be able to reach behind it while I was. Oh, that's Ruha Benjamin. Yeah. So this is my inspiration. We've been working on the cradle to prison algorithm, which is the expansion of the school to prison pipeline through yes. the use of data and emerging technology. So I just wanted everyone to be hip to Dr. Benjamin. Yes. 
Joy Bulamwini has coded bias that just came out. They won at Sundance. And that was where they didn't recognize blackface with facial recognition technology. So it's her story. Wait, and this so is a documentary. It's a documentary called. Coded I haven't Bias. seen it yet. You say you say has it has it been released for distribution yet, or you just it came? Actually just came out. Um, and Netflix. And my organization is actually going to be hosting a viewing with the director in May and bringing some of the people in to have a conversation around it. So yeah, love you. K -nar um, sorry, not K narrative, narrative, yes. uh, wrap it around that as well. So um, just a lot of things happening. Yeah, we're going to connect because, I, you know, one of the visions is to have black filmmakers show their films in narrative before it reaches the marketplace because we're an audience of folk who are already engaged. We love ourselves. We love one another. And you're going to get true feedback. So before you head off to those you know, sun dances, sh show your film and narrative for a month or two and let our audience tell you whether it's good or not and socially and culturally responsive. So and I just want to say thank you, Professor Hunter, because we were interacting on Twitter and you sent me back into my books and I went back and read both of Octavia Butler's Talent and the Sower, Parable yeah. of the Talent. Yeah, we're planning to do a whole book club, a live book club Please. discussion with Tanana Do You know, there's, there's so much, you know, yeah. Dr. Carr and I were having this conversation because we had to, yeah, we usually don't connect during the week, but now that we're doing these, you should know little vignettes of different people like Anna Hegeman and Essie uh, Robeson. Yeah, we just did, yeah, we just did Howard, Howard Thurman. We're, we're putting these pieces together. Yes. And we're having these conversations about what it looks like. And what I said to him was like a hundred years after we're gone and maybe generations after we're gone, the work we're doing now should resonate, should be still important. Right. It should still, you know, be the drumbeat. And so, but we got to lay those bricks. Now is the time. So we need all hands on deck, Mariko. We're going to- I don't think you understand the power that narrative had on our young people that are working on their platform to be able to see their vision already in in the beta version. Look at that bibliography because they had like hundreds of books. They took pictures of them and they went to to narrative. I think of it as Karen's native narrative. So I, have to, I, know, I know it's knowledge, but <laughs> the power of this platform just keeps rippling. So I want to see everybody on on narrative. Please, that's, this is that's, wow. that's, that's all the ancestors, and I, I just I think, you, I think you know again, Marika. You know, she, she said, can I come in and ask a question? I I ain't know. I come didn't in know. teaching. No, yeah. this is wow. So, I cannot wait. Y'all have to. Wow, I can't wait to see what you all have done with the young people. Please, please. I mean, for me, give them. I'll send you a copy of the book. Please, yeah, I, 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 I love I and respect. You. No question. Um, in the chat, in the private chat, I gave you my email address. So definitely oh, thank you. and I'll yeah. connect you with Dr. Carr. Thank yeah. you. Bless you. Appreciate you, Marika. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, from the teaching thing, from one of the, the first classes we had, you described, you know, Africa and the, the, the teachers around a tree mm -hmm. with young people and they weren't separated by grade or mm -hmm. age. Or, that was from Du Bois. That's right. Yeah. And, and so from that day, this, we are now here with narrative with the thought that people are going to come in different places, different ages, different backgrounds, and they're going to find their space in there. And they're going to create the world that they want to live in, in this space through knowledge, through through knowing, through reconnecting with that that spirit that you're talking about. So we can remember who we are we so remember. we can get to where we're supposed to be. This is what this whole thing is about. So exactly right. oh, uh, I'm kind of like feeling a little emotional because I'm seeing it come to fruition right before, I'm, you know. Anyway. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's what, I mean, in fact, that is really 
the the feeling uh, maybe i'll end for the day with this I, uh, in philadelphia they used to uh give away the so-called medal of freedom in front of independence hall and i would go down there every july 4th when i was in town and i keep i take a take my copy of fred douglas what to the slaves for july and watch how nothing had changed uh watch the black choir watch the black mayor watch the white only people who did the constitution center give away the medal and you know he's saying the douglas says those who carried us off captive required of us a song one july 4th they gave it to uh was it francis crick crick and watson were the ones who quote unquote discovered dna you don't discover dna you just become aware that it's there anyway he got up to, to accept and he said you know i feel very fortunate to be here at the so-called cradle of liberty he don't say so-called i'm saying so-called cradle of liberty thomas jefferson you know he says because what biologists know what life scientists know is that when you exercise it is painful at first it's difficult but ultimately when you run, when you exercise, your body will release endorphins and you feel better. That's what they call runners high. He said, that's because your body is telling you, I know this is hard right now, but keep doing this because that means we get to be here in this form. And he said, and then he, of course, made the direct link saying, see, democracy is hard. But if you do the hard thing, you'll get the reward. We all get to be here. Now, clearly, this country is not learning that lesson, probably won't. But. The future, the human future relies on us doing the hard thing. So what you're doing in narrative is let's all get together and work this out. The function of an elder is, as we just heard uh, Marika say, you know, you step back, let these young people try to work it out like Ella Baker said. And at critical moments, you say, okay, just want to say something, y'all right quick to add. And then you all keep going. This is what happened the last time we did what y'all just said. Now, maybe it's useful information. Maybe it's not. But I just wanted to interject that. Now, I'm going to step back. So, you know, Ella Baker's like, I'm not leading y'all, but you're the elder, you're Fundy. And the reason they loved her so, so much and call her Fundy, um, well, Fundy for teacher. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will share with you what happened the last time we did something close to what y'all are saying. So you might be able to do something similar and you might not do this thing, which is what we did last time. And that took us off path. Without that, but narrative has all, y'all listen now. Did you hear her say our students? That means I don't know how many uh, individuals signed up, but it sounds like a school district, at least one. And she's a tech officer, which is if, if people like my friend Regina Schaefer in Jersey and other people who are black women and men who are in tech in the schools, they usually uh, work across districts. So now I'm curious, how many districts, how many students, who's coming? Because if it's like Philadelphia Freedom Schools, we had them from all over the school. Somebody is signing up for narrative and got the young people in the conversation. Yeah. So you should feel that way. Why? Because this is keeping us alive. You, that's just that's the good feeling. That's the reward. So keep going. Keep All going, Professor right. Hunter. Now, I'll see you next Wednesday because we got a, a, yep. some more people to talk about. And let me just say thank you to everybody who joined us. You know, I know somebody. So how do we donate? Go sign up for Narrative. We're going to also create a place where we're going to have scholarships for people who can't afford it because this should be for everyone. Oh, no question. And we're going to stay here in, on Saturdays, but we're going to do less uh, in May and June as the months go by. We're going to, you know, make the lessons here shorter and do yes. more uh, in narrative because it's a lot of work, a lot of work, hours and hours to annotate and, you know, the time 
you know, we have to use it wisely. So I just want to thank everybody who's supporting this uh, from all over the world. And I especially want to thank you, Dr. Carr. Thank you, Professor Honey. You you uh you planted the seed that has grown into an oak tree in a very short period of time. So I'm planting seeds. Thank thank you, thank sis. You. We're building right. the way. Thank you so much. Love you. Love you too. See you next week. <laughs>